This is the JVS Show. I'm Ian Lee, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. And on the big phone-in today, I'm asking, are you worried about cuts to the British Army? The government will explain later how it's going to cut the size of the army by 20%. It's part of planned defence cuts that will mean, by 2020, the British Army will be half the size it was in the 1970s. It's going to be a painful process. Units will be scrapped or merged. The ones that are going have already been told. Most regimental names will survive, but units within those regiments will be disbanded. Five battalions will be cut from the infantry. Four armoured units will merge into two, while support elements such as the signals and engineers will be reduced by around 30%. So where does all this leave the Army's capabilities? The former head of the Army is Sir General, uh, General Sir Mike Jackson. You get a sense of, is this army up to what an uncertain world may throw at it in the future? And I would say at 82,000, just, just. Colonel Richard Williams, who used to be an SAS commander, goes a step further saying, we can't be sure that the remaining 80,000 troops will be enough for the country's future defence needs. But a Conservative member of the Defence Select Committee, Colonel Bob Stewart, says the problem is that we can't afford so many troops. Well, are you worried about cuts to the British Army? Whatever your story, I'd love to hear it. Perhaps you've been in the services and you know what these cuts are doing to morale. You think there are some things that shouldn't be cut and this is one of them. Or maybe you think it's a sensible idea to cut the size of our force. Strategies and weaponry have changed a lot since the 1970s. So halving the size of the army we had then isn't actually as bad as it sounds. Or perhaps you have sons or daughters in the army and you worry about what these cuts mean for them in the long term. So today I'm asking, are you worried about cuts to the British Army? Call me now, 08459 455 555. Or you can text 81333. Start your text 3CR or email jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. The JVS Show. Share your view. Make your point. Call 08459 455 555. That's 08459 455 555. The JVS Show. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is going to be an interesting one because everywhere is facing cuts at the moment, isn't it? The health service, education, uh, and now the army. But they're huge cuts. And perhaps some things should be sacred and we shouldn't touch and we need. I'd love to get your views on this. 08459 455 555. We've got David in Biggleswade. Good morning, David. Good morning. How do you feel about these cuts that are, that are going to be announced later on today? Well, you asked initially whether we, the, listening, the listeners, were worried and my response to that is, I don't know. If the reasons were good, there's nothing wrong in cutting anything. But I think there's two or three points that crop up in my mind yeah. uh, as a mere member of the public who is not party to these uh, inner sanctum decisions that are made at Westminster. First of all, um, we really can no longer keep sitting at the top table with the big boys as if we were uh, as if we were a military might and get involved in foreign adventures which even today I don't I haven't met one person knows for instance why we are involved with Afghanistan and the profligate waste of young lives there 
So that's one point. If we keep reducing the number of our forces, how can we do these things when we're stretching a diminishing army even more widely and thinly? And another point is, if, for instance, a hypothetical situation, Argentina started saber-rattling again and invaded the Falkland Isles, would we any longer be in a position to send down a task force to liberate the people that live there? And another point, and I'll shut up at this level. You don't need to shut up, David. I'm enjoying this. Well, the the whole country is in a state of flux. If the Scots, and they have every right to make their own minds up here, on majority decide in a couple of years' time that they want to break up the UK, what's going to happen then to the Scottish regiments? How will it affect the English, the, the Ulster and the Welsh regiments? You know, I mean, there are so many questions here, really, it's almost impossible to give an answer. Do you know, I hadn't considered the possibility of, of uh, Scotland leaving the Union, how that would... Uh, well, there are very proud Scots regiments. Yeah. Uh, and if we are going to um, break up GB, pers- I mean, it's my, pers- my only personal opinion, I would not like it to happen. But the thing is that if it does happen, there are further questions to ask ourselves such as the one I've just raised there. So, I mean, I think really the thing that's worrying me and probably worrying a lot of other people is, uh, and you made the point right at the start, is that it's not just the army they're cutting, although this is the issue that we're focusing on now. They're cutting everything. And one thing that's worrying us all is that not only have the politicians in this government and the previous government exposed themselves as being greedy, but probably even more worrying, they're exposing themselves as being incompetent. And once you start breaking something up, you can't put it together again. You can only say, we got it wrong. And so I really just hope uh, that in reducing the army by 20%, they are actually doing the right thing. You mentioned something that uh, uh, has, has kind of fascinated me for a long time, that, that we can no longer sit at the big table with the big boys. Uh, but yet we've been trying to do that for a long time, haven't we? We're trying to get with Iraq and with Afghanistan. We've been trying to keep up with America, which we can't do. Well, I, I think it's a good thing that we can still sit at the top table, as it were, because uh, British expertise, and dare it be said, mil- military expertise, is, is still invalid. The problem is, it's us seemingly disenfranchised public who don't seem to be able to contact the um, present government or indeed the previous government and say, look, hello, we don't want to send our troops to these countries because we don't know why we're going there. And, and I think this is the problem. We, 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 if we are being bullied... I mean, this is, we don't know, do we? But if we are being bullied by America or by whoever, uh, saying, well, if you want to sit with us, you've, you've, got to, uh, you've got to play along, then I think, really, um, we've got to ask ourselves, what's the point in having a larger army if they're going to be used as pawns? Uh, you know, there's so many questions here. There are questions. This is, this is why it's going to be so interesting this hour, I think. But, but suppose it, Iraq and Afghanistan, I can see why people will possibly have problems with those wars. Supposing when well, it's. I've got great problems with those. 
Well, I'm sure you do. But supposing it's it's a human rights situation, uh, like Libya was, and like Syria possibly could be, should we be getting involved uh, with our military in conflicts like that? Well, you know, uh, it's wonderful, isn't it, when you, uh, again, put, putting it into a sort of uh, rather flippant way, when the 7th Cavalry turn up at the right moment, mm. you know, and the wagon train is saved from the savages, uh, the, the point is it makes us, we, we, there we are, defending democracy. But, you know, isn't there, and again, I'm sure a lot of listeners, I say sure, uh, I would hope a lot of listeners feel similar to me, there is such double standard and hypocrisy here. Syria, no doubt, is, is, a, is a grubby, shabby little dictatorship. And its people probably need releasing from this government. But, you know, we trade with China, who have an appalling human rights record. But, hey, steady on, be careful. We trade with China. They're too big. We, don't, we, we leave China to one side. And, and this is where you see this mm. whole notion that we must defend the weak in the interests of democracy is fine, but we, we seem to select our targets, don't we? Oh, it's de- I think, I think uh, it, it is selective. And, of course, we would never pick on China because we do a lot of trade with them, and they're huge. But even taken, uh, uh, taking that into consideration, and it, it, the, the fact that it is flawed when we do uh, help people, surely it's right, isn't it, that we help countries that need our help for human rights issues like Libya, like Syria? I think... That is fine, again, up to a point. Mm. This country is in dire straits. You wouldn't think so sometimes, but it is, and we all know that. And they're talking about tightening our belts here and getting rid of little luxuries which we've taken for granted, including the welfare system, including schools and hospitals. Uh, I mean, they're not little luxuries, but, you know, we're, we're reducing everything. And if we're going to trim down our armed forces further, it begs a very obvious question, doesn't it? We, that they are, it is not fair to expect the, the, the leaders of the armed forces and, and more importantly those who are going to be involved at the fighting end to be spread around the globe and to take the flak mm. when it is, one suspects, um, a political game as well. It is just not fair and it's not honest. And and so, yeah, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. My gut feeling is they're being a bit too hasty in making their decisions now to reduce the armed forces. David, listen, thank you very much. Fascinating. Uh, General Sir Michael Jackson, who has been outspoken against these cuts, did say in January that Britain would find it impossible to win back the Falklands if Argentina invaded again because of defence cuts. But maybe it's right that we as a nation kind of take a step back a bit and say we've had our time in the front line, uh, we've had our time as one of the top players, but actually things have changed. The world has changed. China and India are huge forces in the world now, getting bigger and bigger. We're a tiny island. Perhaps we should be realistic. Perhaps it's right that we save money by cutting back uh, our defence budget. I'd love to hear your story on this. I would really love to hear from you. Uh, if you've been, if you've served in the armed forces, or if you have sons and daughters, husbands and wives uh, that are serving, uh, how concerned are you for them? Do you think the cuts will affect those that are keeping their jobs? That it might make those that, are, that they may not be losing their jobs, 
lost, but their lives may be put at risk. 08459 four double five five double five. Now, this Saturday, the Olympic torch finally gets to the three counties. As it makes its way from Waltham Cross to Hartford, we will be there. The torch also visits Ware and Bishop Stortford, and we'll be following it. We'll also be bringing you the sights and sounds from the Luton International Mellor. We are your Olympic station, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm going to be there on Monday when the torch is, uh, is being paraded around, and I'm very, very excited. But this morning, we're asking, are you worried about cuts to the British Army? Um, you can give me a call, 08459 555. Uh, Deborah is near Royston. Good morning, Deborah. Good morning. Are you worried about these cuts? Um, I'm horrified. I, I have a, a son-in-law who is a major in the rifles, mm-hmm. a serving soldier. He uh, returned from a seven-and-a-half-month stint in Afghanistan in April of this year. Uh, where he lost two of his men and had uh, numerous ones of them seriously injured, including m- missing limbs, etc., etc. Um, uh, the behaviour of the politicians is beyond contempt mm. uh, w- where the army and the military is concerned because um, these are men and women who are prepared to pay the ultimate price. This is not an ordinary job. It's a unique job. And the thing is that they, these people... Um, go to conflicts, they are sent by politicians, they do not go on their own um, decisions, they are sent by the politicians um, uh, to actually put their lives on the line. And many of them, 400 plus, have lost their lives in Afghanistan alone over the last 10 years. Now, what was, what was the price um, of those boys and girls dying um, compared what it is now? <coughs> it's only about money. This is a cost-cutting exercise, which will leave the... It's, it, they're already terribly demoralised, I can tell you that. They have utter lack of confidence in the politicians who are, who are sending them places. And that once that is lost, that is very dangerous. But they are now expecting um, that a cut to 80,000 um, in total, um, and... Yet they'll be sending them all over the world. They still, I mean, you, David just said, you know, we, it's maybe time to stop, stop being world players. Well, unfortunately, we have politicians who are so full of their self-righteous importance that they still want to keep sending people um, out there to, to fight to get them glory. Um, and they're going to send a lot less people. They're going to be uh, relying on reserves. I mean, for goodness sake, the reserves are fabulous. But, you know, a lot of their employees, it, it, it's dependent, when, dependent on whether, whether employers will allow them to go. And, and as well, if you were a reservist and you thought you were going to be going out there to be fighting with a very low um, standard force of people, would you be happy to go? Well, I certainly wouldn't. I would be very unhappy to be sent knowing that they... Um, the men that I would and women that I would be serving for were terribly disbanded. I mean, this is outrageous. You said, uh, Deborah, that morale is low. It is. How is you, you, it's your son-in-law, wasn't it? Yes. You said this. Isn't it? Yes. How has he said this is manifesting itself? How are they showing that the morale is low? The, the men, the men are dispirited. Mm. Um, they they go out to these places. Um, and they, they now, I mean, I think there's always a fear factor, but I think that they now go thinking, we're actually going out here for people who don't appreciate us. That's what they're saying. They have utter contempt for these politicians. And yes, of course, they're officer, the officer boys, like my son-in-law, who is a major and the captains, 
they are not allowed to speak out. And I mean, what's happening now? There are all these forced redundancies happening. They've just had another wave. Now, my son-in-law doesn't want to leave the army. It's, he's been in the army since he left university. He, he, you know, it's his life and his career. And he's a very, very good soldier. Um, but, you know, there, there are uh, absolutely no way that these boys and girls um, are, are feeling happy about doing things anymore. And yes. the other thing is, Go on. Uh, what is not being said is, um, the forced redundancies, I lost my train of thought there for a minute, the forced redundancies, these soldiers are not allowed to publicly speak out about them. And do you know what is that they've been told? If they go public themselves, um, you know, an officer, a captain or a major, they will, then will lose their pensions for speaking out. And that's why you were, you were hearing and reading in the papers comments from families, because it's mom, mothers and fathers who are having to speak out for their sons and daughters, because if their sons and daughters themselves speak out, they have been told they will lose their pensions. How diabolically disgusting is that? Uh, I can see uh, that point, but then some would argue that, that being in the military, mm. it, you are told to follow orders. That's, that's p- a big part of it, is, is learning how to follow orders. And if the order is, don't say anything, then... Uh, yes, but as I say, this, they, these soldiers are paying the ultimate price. And what, what they, what's is happening is that they are being forced into redundancy, and if they don't... So they're not going to be staying in the army, but... If they complain about being forced out of a job that they often, in many, many cases, absolutely love, then they will lose their pensions. Have you ever heard of anything so disgraceful? I mean, you know, every other private um, public sector worker can speak out. You know, the NHS people speak out, the, um, the police speak out, all these people speak out. But the army, the people who are prepared to put the ultimate sacrifice, mm. are not allowed to speak out. Deborah, is your son-in-law's job safe, do you know? It, uh, it's, he's, he's got through this uh, latest round, but he is uh, very concerned for next year because he's coming up to, uh, to a time of that he's been in the army long enough and he's at the age that uh, at next year his pension when he retired eventually it would become a great much greater so um those are the people as well uh, this is all it's so disgusting it's all about money because um if you are going to when you a lot of the boys who are being made redundant are being made redundant this is the officer class because they are maybe six months away from getting a better pension mm. um i mean it's and i'll tell you something else I got so angry about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I emailed my MP, because, because we're just in the South Cambridgeshire borders, it's Andrew Lansley, Minister of Health. He hasn't even had the decency to reply to me. The thing is, Deborah, cuts are being made everywhere. They're being made uh, in teaching and yep. in hospitals yep. and everywhere. Yes. We're all in this together. Yeah. But, but, but Why should the army be any different? Be, because this is a fighting force. It has to be ready for anything. It has to be prepared and have the ability to go um, to conflicts. And, and this is a very dangerous world we're living in now. Um, it's not something like uh, the Second World War, where the warning signs were building up over a period of years. We now have these flash conflicts 
um, in the Middle East. The Middle East is seething. Uh, they called it the Arab Spring. I'm afraid it's going to become the Arab Winter. And, um, you know, we've got Libya, we've got Syria, uh, there's uh, Iran. There's all these very turbulent people. Um, now, it's, it is a government, the, the purpose first purpose of any government is the protection of its people mm. now the first line of defense is the military and the military is being decimated it will not be a capable fighting force there to protect us deborah listen we've got to move on thank you very much uh, for that uh, there is the argument that everywhere else is uh, having cuts why shouldn't the army Interesting to hear uh, about Deborah's son-in-law and that morale is low. Maybe you've served uh, in, in the armed forces. Maybe you'd agree with that. Oh, wait, four five nine, four double five five double five. Paul's in Boreham Wood. Paul, do you? Uh, does this worry you? The cuts to the, the army. Uh, good morning. Yeah. Good morning. No, no. Personally, it, it doesn't. Uh, I, I think we are in a different situation and a different world to where we were. 50 years ago or 100 years ago and 100 years ago we had an empire that we were trying to defend and maintain 50 years ago we were into the old conventional sort of war and threats of the iron curtain and soviet union etc all that's gone we're now in a wholly different sort of situation and maintaining standing armies is a very expensive thing and i'm not sure anymore where that threat is that we would require large numbers of personnel because of the technology that's available today, because we're not the sort of world power that we were, I, I just don't personally understand now that, although I have a great nostalgia, and I would hate, you know, I'd hate to see the old regiments go and think, from a nostalgia point of view, but from a logic point of view, I can't see the need. I'd rather be seeing that kind of money spent on maintaining a a large police force and things that will really do impact on society every day. Well, I don't think that... The thing is, I mean, that, that money is disappearing, isn't it? It's, it's not going to... The, the money they're saving, I don't think, is necessarily going to be f- filtered off somewhere else. It's just going to be safe. But your, your argument is that, that warfare has moved on significantly in the last 30, 40 years, and having huge numbers of soldiers standing by is perhaps an unnecessary cost. Well, yes. I mean, where are we going to invade? I mean, we're not going to invade... The Middle East, uh, we, we get ourselves involved in things like Afghanistan, heaven knows why, because we never win those sort of situations. The Soviets tried it and never won. You know, I mean, the Germans tried in the war in Yugoslavia and places. You, you, you never win those sort of wars, so I don't know why we carry on getting involved. But, but aside from that, I just don't see where we're going to muster large numbers of soldiers. Now, Paul, let, let, let me give you a completely fictional uh, scenario. We have armed forces in Libya. Yep. We get um, the thumbs up to send armed forces to Syria. So we're in two places, as well as Afghanistan. Then suddenly, the Falklands are invaded. And we haven't got enough people because we've made all the cuts. What do we do then? Surely we need to have uh, people standing by just for those unexpected conflicts that can arise in a turbulent world. Well, I, I think in, in, in the ideal world where money was unlimited and, and, and etc., that's a different scenario but the reality is that we can't plan the idea that we might end up in three or four different conflicts because i don't think that's going to happen and things like the falklands what happened 30 years ago i don't think will happen again i don't i think that the way politics are today and so on and i don't think we're actually capable of doing it now but even if we were i don't think we would end up with fighting again in the falklands it, i'd I think there's a, it's, well, things have moved on, the sorts of things. The world is such an international basis of things now. It's not country against country, because 
countries are not really their own bosses anymore. International banking, international politics, etc. Maybe, maybe, maybe we send, need to send the army in to sort out the banks. That might do it. Paul, listen, thank you very much for that. We, we are asking, are you worried about cuts to the British Army? And Paul mentioned the Falklands there. And General Sir Mike Jackson, who's being very outspoken against these cuts, did say that with the cuts, if the same thing that happened 30 years ago uh, in the Falklands happened now, we wouldn't be able to, to get it back. 08459 455 555. What's your story if you're in the armed forces or if you have a relative or a loved one who is? Would love to get your opinion on this. Time now to get the travel. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, it's the JVS Show. I'm Ian Lee, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. And after 11, I'll be looking at your consumer problems. I do love this bit. Uh, And going back to Terry. Terry was on holiday in Gran Canaria with his partner, Michelle, when they were approached by two men who said they were from the tourist board. In the end, they gave us some scratch cards. One of us won a white star, which won a T-shirt. And one of us was a gold star. They were so excited, they immediately told us the star was unheard of. And we had won a, a really good prize. Well, they were then whisked off to a hotel and spent three hours in the sun with a bottle of wine whilst the company delivered a presentation about a scheme which sounded so good that Terry signed up for it at a cost of €7,000. Wow. What happened? We'll find out later. And after 10, I'll be asking, are computer games a problem in your house? An advisor for a new lobby group called the Save Childhood Movement says computer games are hindering children from learning about being human. The psychologist, Dr Richard House, says a growing number of children are failing to develop properly at a young age because of the pressures of modern life. He says computer games are part of the problem as they stop children having proper life experiences. I want to talk to you uh, about this later on and ask you, are computer games a problem in your house? But back to the big phone-in now. The Defence Secretary will today explain how the army will reduce its numbers by 20% as part of the defence cuts already announced. It will mean by 2020 that the British Army will be half the size it was in the 1970s. The former head of the army, Sir General, uh, General Sir Mike Jackson, I keep getting those the wrong way around, says that reducing the number of soldiers from 102,000 to 82,000 will leave us with just enough. To compensate for the cuts to the regular army, the number of deployable reservists will double to 30,000. The territorial army will become an integral part of the army. But does that reassure you? Are you worried about cuts to the British army? You can give me a call 08459 455 555 or text 81333. Start your text 3CR. We've got Ron in Hemel. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Ian. Are you worried about cuts to the British army? Yes, I am, really. I think the politicians have got it wrong. Go on. I, I believe that um, they should leave it to the, the people that are involved in the military. Uh, listen to Sir Michael Jackson, which I wish we heard more of him. He's a marvellous person. But I do believe that we've got people in power now, other than Paddy Ashdown, and I don't know any others that have seen service, and really uh, they don't know what they're talking about on this issue. And not only that, they're thinking of getting extra reservists, like the, um, what they call the... Um, the TA. Part-time, the Pizza TA. Yeah. Now, if you look at that, it's, a, it's cheap labour, really. They're not going to pay them the money that the regular soldiers get. And not only that, it causes a problem, because when you want... If there's some situation happens, the organisation to get these people from their jobs to the areas is colossal. Mm. 
And I, I go back a long way, and I've always thought of this country as a great military uh, organisation. We've depended on the military so much. And not only that, these soldiers now that are facing a redundancy situation, um, they're already in a stress situation when they've come home from battlefields. And um, I can't see this being a, a great help. So much disorganisation created by it. But there again, as I said, I believe that the people that know what fighting's all about and the forces, it should be left to them people. But, Ron, if we leave it to those people, like the, the, the generals and the majors, uh, uh, they're just going to... If they were in charge of all the decisions, they would just say, yeah, give us another £10 billion. We need to get some brilliant new weapons. So they're, they're possibly biased the other way. So they're perhaps not the right people. Well, it's better than the politician giving you weapons that are no good. <laughs> substandard weapons. I mean, the uh, same as the, the equipment in the desert conditions, boots that were falling apart and everything else. Yes. So really, it's, you know, it's a catch-22 situation. But I truly believe that the, the, the people that are in the theatre, they know more than a person sitting in Westminster. Ron, we've had this, this, this point brought up by a couple of people, and it, it, it's an interesting one that I think bears uh, another look at. We're not, we're not a world superpower. We're not as big as we were in World War Two, you know, we, we are a tiny well, island, and maybe it's time that we accepted that we're a tiny island and take a step back. We've done some amazing things, and the victory in World War Two with America, but prompted by us, was incredible and is one of the greatest achievements ever. But that's not us anymore. We're a small little island. Yes, but probably, probably that's where we should be using our troops to defend this island in, in, a, in a different way, as far as border control. But we're not uh, under uh, um, attack in the conventional sense, are we? No, but if you look at if you look at the major wars, they've all been started by little issues. Yeah, of, yeah, of course they have. But, we're, but 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 there is no threat. I mean, apart from the threat of terrorism, which um, the military, uh, it, it, I don't know if they're necessarily the best people to deal with 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 terrorism on mainland Britain. There's no, there's nothing brewing with any big countries. All right, I'll put it in context. Yep. Say, for instance, now Argentina did decide to go back into uh, to the Falkland Islands. Yep. Um, it's not like when Mrs. Thatcher sent all our resources down 8,000 miles and so many days later we won a battle. Mm. It wouldn't be like that again. We'd have to go to France for aircraft carriers and depend on other countries for help. We're not, we're not in that situation no more. And we could be caught out. It's not a case of saying the world is, is more stable in certain areas now. You, you've got to prepare. There's always that chance that something's going to happen. And it can happen just overnight. Ron, thank you very much. 08459 455 555. Ron thinks that we should have people standing by, ready, just in case it kicks off. Uh, it, it can happen overnight. Can it happen overnight? Possibly not, but yes, I get your point. 08459 455 555. Are you worried about the cuts to the British Army? If you're not that, that worried about it, if you think, yeah, well, yeah, you know, hospitals are being cut, schools are being cut, my job's being cut, why shouldn't the army be cut? Is it outdated for us to think that we are a, a, a big mover in the world? We are a tiny little island. It's not World War II. We're insignificant, aren't we? In the great scheme of things, when you compare us to America and to China and to India, both of whom, the, the, the China and India, are going to be huge in the next 50 years, we're insignificant. And maybe we should be forming a European army. 
Oh, wait, 459 555. Bob is in Luton. Hello, Bob. Hi there. Bob, what, what's your take on this? Uh, well, um, to start, I'd like to say that um, our armed services, and including the army, are held in the highest regard. In fact, we're sometimes the envy of the world for the dedication, discipline, knowledge, determination, um, despite the total lack of support from what seems to be all parties at the moment, with, who continuously cut the cost of funding to our armed services year by year. Um, there are young men and women giving their lives for our country, and um, this is the way this is the way we um, we do we we treat them with substandard equipment, diminishing resources, and sometimes equipment that isn't even fit for purpose. And I think it's an absolute disgrace. I don't think there can be a price put on our forces' lives. And with the greatest respect to everyone who's who's lost their life in uh, uh, in conflict. They know the risks, don't they, when they join up for the armed forces? They know there is a chance that they will go to war and that they could possibly be killed. Absolutely, but then we also expect to have the support from the government that's sending us out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was in the Royal Navy for 24 years, right. um, including um, I went to the Falklands and I did two trips down the Gulf as well. And throughout all those times we knew that we had the support of the people at home but we were concerned even then with the um the way that sometimes we were treated by the government with lack of funds lack of resources was when did you leave the navy bob Oh, a long time ago. Oh, OK, OK. So I was going to ask you about morale, because I'm, I'm, I'm keen to, to speak to someone who's, who's got a relative in, in the armed forces. I, I, we're hearing about morale as an all-time low. It'd be interesting to, uh, interesting to uh, follow that up. So, but do you not think, though, that, that, Bob, this argument that we're hearing, that we aren't that important anymore? We should, st- we should take a step back. Well, I disagree with that, really, because we are still um, an important... Uh, member of, of NATO and, and certainly our armed forces, as I said previously, are, are looked upon as being the, the best in the world. But aren't we holding on to former glories that are kind of irrelevant in 2012? Well, the defence of the country is always paramount in, in my opinion. And there was much said um, earlier on by people about the Falklands. Um, that is a prime example. They're, they are British. Um, the, they are British people there, and they deserve our, our protection. And I think the more you diminish the army and the other forces, then we're not going to be able to do that. With the Falklands, I don't want to go off too much on the tangent on this, but, but isn't there a, a, an argument for uh, having discussions with Argentina about the, f- the, the future of the Falklands? It's a lot of money to spend defending what is a, a, a small piece of land. It's a small piece of land, but it's our piece of land. Argentina have got no claim, legal claim to it whatsoever. And um, I'll give you an example of this. Go You've got Aruba that's um, uh, in the Caribbean, 40, 40 miles from Venezuela. When Aruba was first discovered, there was a native population there from Venezuela. That is now a Dutch colony. Um, it's been occupied by the Spanish and the um, French at one time or other, uh, but it's now a Dutch colony. You never hear of Venezuela trying to lay claim to, to that, their place. And they've got more claim to Aruba 
then Argentina has to the Falklands. Why don't we sell the Falklands to them? Say, so look, you give us ten billion, you can have it. Well, you've got the people that, are, that live on the Falklands that are British. They don't want to belong mm. to Argentina. No, it's, it's an interesting one. Uh, listen, thank you very much for that. Would, uh, do you so? You, you think it's kind of sad that we, we're, we're making the cutbacks and that we are losing um, twenty thousand members of the army? I, I think it's absolutely disgraceful. It's almost as if the government are trying to turn us into a provisional dad's army, and that, that's what's going to be left. Uh, Bob, listen, thank you very much for that. 08459 555. five is the telephone number. You all seem to be uh, dead against it, apart from a couple of calls. I'd love to hear from someone uh, who has got some uh, a relative serving in the armed forces. I'm really keen to find out if morale is as low as it seems. And we heard someone say earlier on that if, if any members of the army speak out against this... They lose their pensions. Is that true? Is that, is that an official directive that's come from above that says you must shut up, otherwise you'll be penalised? And if anybody you know, uh, their job is under threat while they're in the army, that they, they could be part of these cuts, do give me a call, because I'm keen to know what these people are going to do. We're going to have 20,000 unemployed ex-soldiers. What are they going to do? There's no, there's not many jobs as it is, so an extra 20,000 people isn't going to help. 08459 555. If you've got a relative serving in the armed forces, then I, please do give me a call. Are you worried about their job? 08459 555. 20,000 jobs are going to go over the next few years in the army. Uh, is that a worrying statistic? Does that put us more at threat? War is different these days to how it was 70 years ago we're not really a threat as far as i'm aware from a a specific nation as we were in world war ii or there's terrorism but that's a a war against an ideology isn't it as opposed to an actual country and can we fight that with the armed forces surely that's more of an intelligence issue and if you have got a relative and they're, they're fearing for their job in the army what will they do if they're forced to leave where will they go is there anything they can do? We always thought that, that being in the army was a job for life, a career, serving your country. Maybe we should be treating these people, who, who many people view as heroes, we should be treating them with a bit more respect. 08459 455 555. Or maybe you think you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're working somewhere, and you're losing your job, you're facing cutbacks. We're all in this together, aren't we? Why should the army be any different? Surely it makes sense to cut down the army and save some money. Really keen to hear your views on this. We're talking about this uh, until 10 o'clock, and then we'll be talking about computer games. But 08459 455 555. We've got um, Colonel Bob Stewart, who's the Conservative MP for Beckenham. Uh, he's on the Defence Select Committee. Good morning, Bob. Morning, Ian. Uh, Bob, w- w- what's your take on this? Tragic. It's awfully tragic that we're, we're having to do this. I mean, I'm an infantry officer, but for most of my adult life... And I'm seeing the death of the English English regimental system, mm. uh, which is linked very much to the counties. Um, what's going to happen, as, a, as, as is anticipated, I don't know, but as is trailed, goodness knows how people know, but there's something they know, um, that we're going to lose sort of three English infantry battalions who are fundamentally linked to local areas. Mm. And, and quite frankly, if you do that, with, and you've done that, the other regiments that are linked will also lose, possibly lose their county affiliations, and that breaks the link. It, it makes the army more alien locally, and that worries me a great deal. And here's the point. 
it seems, according to suggestions, that the Scottish will continue to have a Scottish regimental system and the English will continue not to have an English regimental mm. system, a link to the local local people. And speaking as an ex-Cheshire officer, um, with very close links to Cheshire, as indeed as many, many people realise who are listening to a programme, uh, that, that there are huge links to local regiments too, um, this is a tragedy. And then, of course, um, thinking across the, the whole spectrum, um, when people say, are we at increased risk by taking an a sort of 20% cut in our army manpower? The answer is, of course we are. Of course we are. But, but uh, risk, risk from who, Bob, if you don't mind me asking? Well, risk from, from actually threats that we cannot identify. If you tell me, Ian, one, one campaign that we've anticipated mm. in the last 50 years... Look, when I was commissioned in 1969, my goodness, the world was black and white then. Uh, when I was commissioned... The last thing on my mind was that within six months I'd be with a rifle walking down the streets of my own country, United Kingdom, in Northern Ireland. I joined the army to soldier abroad, not on the streets of the United Kingdom. Mm. That was a shock. But I got one and a half hours notice that I was deploying to Bosnia. One and a half hours notice. So um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that we never know where the threat is coming from. And... And that's the situation. Colonel, this, this must put you in an awkward position, because obviously you, you are a colonel, uh, but you're also a Conservative MP, and it's your government, that's your party, that's doing this. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and here's the problem. That's on one hand, there's my, there's my heart speaking, and here's my head. Mm. How are we going to pay for this? Which particular hospitals do you want to go instead of having uh, English regiments? Um, how are we going to equip our soldiers if we've got too many of them for the equipment we have? That's the problem. So you've got a heart and head situation here. But the key to it all is what do we require to defend our country? You know the answer to that is we don't know. Mm. We don't know because we don't know the threats that will face us. I know one thing, that if we reduce our army down below 100,000, it... it's often not called an army once you're below that. It's more like a, a self-defence force. 100,000 does seem to be uh, the, the sort of magic number, doesn't it? That, that you go be below that, we're in trouble. Supposing something did flare up in t- 10, 15 years' time, I'm imagining it would be incredibly difficult to get those numbers back up over that 100,000. Once, you, once you've made that cut, you can't really go back, can you? Well, you can with time. You can, of course you can. You could build anything with time. Look what happened in the Second World War. We built a huge army. Mm. And yes, you can, but the, the worry is, part of the situation is that we probably, we might not have time. We might actually um, have very little time indeed. We don't know. Here's the point. What is going to happen, we don't know. All I know is that all the campaigns I have taken part in, we, we had no idea until they were right against us. We've had lots of comments this morning from, from listeners who are unsure that those in charge know what they're doing and they're kind of making knee-jerk reactions to save pounds. I, is that your take on this? It's not knee-jerk reactions. My take is that actually um, defence has got to take um, some cuts because we just can't afford it. Mm. Those people that say um, we shouldn't be taking cuts in defence... 
um, perhaps they should say, well, we've only got one cake and we're cutting it in various ways. Which other part of the cake? Would you like the National Health Service to be cut? Would you like education to be cut or social services or benefits? You know, it, 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 unfortunately, a decision has to be made. I am glad I haven't made that decision. Mm. And so I can so I can sit here and say to you, um, I'm really unhappy. OK, well, I'm going to put you on the spot then. You said, that, you said that cuts have to be made in, in, in the armed forces. Where would you make them? Where would I make them? Yeah. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's the yeah. tough. I mean, uh, the, uh, here's the problem. I, I Put me on the spot. Uh, I would prefer not to make them. But how about this? Go on. All right, you want to cut? Well, if we're going to, if we're not, we've got two, two Gurkha battalions. One of them paid by the Sultan of Brunei. One of those Gurkha battalions is paid by British taxpayers. Um, that it costs more than the English infantry battalion. Um, what about that? You saying get rid of the Gurkhas? No, well, I'm just saying people will be in uproar. No, but I'm in uproar <laughs> because actually English English soldiers are losing their jobs. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean here's the point. Okay, another one is. Um, the Scottish battalions, the Scottish might not be taking the same cuts as the English. That's, that's iniquitous, in my view, um, especially as they're not well recruited. And a lot of the, the, the men in Scottish battalions are actually from the Commonwealth. So they can't recruit, and they're staying, and yet we're losing English regiments. That's something that really deeply upsets me. So I'm giving you a bit of an answer, aren't I, already? You're giving me an excellent answer. Colonel Bob uh, Stewart, who is the Conservative MP for Beckenham. Thank you, Colonel. I appreciate your honesty. I did put you on the spot there, and you answered it superbly. Thank you very much. It's a tough one. Colonel Bob Stewart is a Conservative MP, so he's, his feet are in two camps. He's been in the military. He's in the military. He's also... His party are making these cuts. He realises that cuts have to be made... But where do you make them? I enjoyed that. Thank you very much for that, uh, Colonel. Let's go to John in Milton Keynes. Good. Hello, John. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Well, I, I like being called sir. Uh, yeah. You can carry on doing that. What's your take <laughs> on this? Well, I think, um, as, a, as a civilian, I, I think um, with all the cuts, you, you, I, t- I personally tend to feel less safe in the country. You just have that, that less safe feeling about the whole situation. I mean, with, with, with the, the Falklands um, thing, uh, you know, the political thing about uh, Falklands kick, kicking off again, you know, it's come at a worse time, isn't it? It's come at the worst moment. And, yeah, and it's, come, they, it's come while we're spinning a lot of plates, definitely. And also with the Royal Navy as well. I mean, n- n- now that the Ark Royal's been retired, we don't have any more Harriers anymore. I mean, the rest of the country look at us and they're now laughing at us. We're, we've now become a laughing stock, you know, which is how. But do you really feel more at risk, John? Because the, the mainland Britain is pretty safe. Well, the thing is, mainland Britain's pretty safe, but generally it's, it's not just from physical threat, but it's also um, basically... Um, threats about, you know, if, if we go overseas, things like, like that. I mean, we, we have uh, the military deployed all over the world, don't we? Yeah. You know, we don't have military in this country. If we go anywhere, uh, you, you just get a feeling that we, we don't have that net of safety that we had before. So, would you, are you sorry, are you saying you would like to have more soldiers deployed here, just in case? Well, or, you know, here and overseas. Right, okay. 
but you know, our, but what I'm saying is, it, it, it's that if, 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 for example, we went to another country, if, if, if we went to another country in Europe, would we be as safe as we were before with all the military we had, like in Germany, for example? But the, the, like, like that. The, the world is changing, isn't it, John? Uh, and America have got a huge army. I think it's something like 1.2 million uh, members of the American army, something like that. Excuse me if I'm wrong. Uh, and as Europe possibly gets closer. Isn't there an argument for having a European army? Well, the thing is, you see, um, we've actually got to come to a point where the military, if it's cut even more, there's no point in having a military. There's right. no point in having it. It's non-effective. You get to a point where it's actually become non-effective, right? And that's what I fear. I'm not a military expert, so I'm not going to quote any figures or numbers, but that's, where I, that's what I fear. And, and you know, uh, scrapping York Royal... And obviously, they're building two new aircraft carriers and, and stuff at the moment, but that's, that's years away. That's two, three years away. So we, we, we're sitting ducks for three years, potentially, from, from, from uh, uh, a Falklands takeover, you know. And, and it's just, it's just that, the, whole, the, whole, the whole thing, the, the safety net. I mean, it's all like people saying um, we're not a, like a dominant force in the world like, you know, like the empire we had 100 years ago. That's neither here nor there. The fact is, that is our first line of defence for our own personal safety. John, thank you very much for that. Got a text uh, here. Um, I don't know who this is from. There's not a name on it. Oh, it's an email. Uh, the contempt which our leaders are showing the army personnel in giving redundancy notices just before they qualify for a decent pension is a gutless decision by the MPs. Compare it to the MP who loses his seat, who is then given a lump sum of thousands of pounds to give him a period of adjustment to normal life. It stinks. Um, and the last call on this is going to be Carol in St Albans. Good morning, Carol. Good morning, Ian. Well, what's your take on this? What happens to all the redund- redundant soldiers? Do, yep. do they join the ranks of the unemployed? Because at one time, if um, a soldier left the army, he was very often employed as a policeman or in the... In the um, oh. Well, he would get a security job or yes, um, things like that. Not parole. Um, prison officers. Probation. Okay, yes, we've got Prison there, yeah. officers. Well, they're cutting back on those. Yep. So, I mean, are we going to see, like we did in the last war, them on the streets, busking and begging? It does, it does raise the question that 20,000 people are going to lose their jobs. Yeah. What are, are they going to do? There's only so many bouncers and security men and police officers that you can have. Yeah, and what happens when the police go on strike or they want backing up? They used to call the army. Mm. If the um, fire brigade go on strike, they call the army. Mm. If there's um, big floods up north... They send up the army to help. The army do sort out big floods up north. Carol, do you are you saying that you would feel unsafe if the army was reduced? I think so. Yeah. I've not given it much thought, but yes, I think so. Okay. Well, don't don't think about it too much, Carol. I don't want you to get upset or anything. <laughs> all right. Promise me you won't get upset today. Oh no. Good. It's just you know all this these wasted bodies on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Carol, I really appreciate your call. Thank you very much. There we go. Seems most of you are, are, are against it, with a few possible exceptions. Some of you even feeling um, possibly unsafe as a result uh, of that. This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon Smith. Don't worry, Jonathan is back on Monday. Don't panic. Time now to get the latest travel news. Coming up after the news, are computer games a problem in your home? A psychologist has said they're stopping children from learning how to be human. Do you agree? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. It's the JVS Show with me, Ian Lee, standing in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. After 11, I'll be looking at your consumer problems and I'll be talking to Rebecca. 
Now, Rebecca wanted to upgrade her mobile phone. She told us that she spoke to her provider before purchasing a new handset. Yes, yeah, so you can either go into a store, as long as you call us whilst you're in a store, we can upgrade it that way. Alternatively, we can post it. I was just going shopping anyway, so went into a store, called whilst in the store to upgrade, as it said. Two days later, hated the phone. Rebecca told us that she was under the impression that she was able to exchange the phone within seven days if she was dissatisfied with the product. However, the provider is saying that this was only an option if the handset was bought over the phone. We'll find out what the latest is on that after 11. But first, are computer games a problem in your house? An advisor for a new lobby group called Save Childhood Movement says computer games are hindering children from learning about being human. The psychologist, Dr Richard House, says a growing number of children are failing to develop properly at a young age because of the pressures of modern life. He says computer games are part of the problem as they stop children having proper life experiences. Well, I'll be meeting John from Buckinghamshire, who's got a PlayStation 2, who got a PlayStation 2 when he was 11, and played it even though his parents didn't approve. He thinks the computer games can be a very positive influence. Do you agree? Or are you keeping children from a better childhood, one that doesn't involve them being sat in front of a computer screen for hours on end? Are computer games a problem in your house? Or perhaps you've got sons or daughters... Oh, I'm going on to the wrong bit of paper there. Give us a call. 08459 455 555. Let us know. Are computer games causing a problem in your house? And of course, this doesn't just necessarily mean children. It could be your husband or your wife. Be really interested to hear your stories on this. But first of all... The JVS Show. Surprising stories that you won't hear anywhere else. The JVS Show. On BBC Three Counties Radio. I think we should have a little bit of Dave Clark 5. Good morning, this is Ian Lee filling in for JVS. Very exciting. This Sunday, the Olympic torch continues its journey across the three counties. It's an early start in Bedford as it makes its way onto Cotton End and then to Letchworth Garden City. From Stevenage, it goes on to Welling Garden City and Hatfield. After St Albans, it travels through Hemel Hempstead and on to Luton. We'll also be bringing you the sights and sounds from the Luton International Carnival. And every step of the way, we will be there. We are your Olympic station, BBC Three Counties Radio. In this hour of the JVS show, are computer games a problem in your house? An advisor for a new lobby group called the Save Childhood Movement says computer games are hindering children from learning about uh, being human. The psychologist Dr Richard House says a growing number of children are failing to develop properly at a young age because of the pressures of modern life. He says computer games are part of the problem as they stop children having proper life experiences. Well, I want to talk to you now about this. Are computer games a problem in your house? Give me a call, 08459 455. Five double five. Maybe it's your kids that play them, uh, and you're worried that it's affecting their health. Maybe it's your husband or your wife. Girls, women do play computer games. I know it's perceived as being a, a, a male-only interest, but more and more girls are playing video games. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you've got kids, do you allow them to play? Do you limit them? Do you censor the games they play? Because a lot of these games do have eighteen ratings, but. Some parents still look like they're 10, 11, 12-year-olds play these games and then complain that they're playing violent games when they're rated in the same way as movies. 08459 455 555. We've got John from Aylesbury. Good morning, John. Good morning. Oh, you're on this one there. There we go. <laughs> you, are, you are a gamer. Definitely, yes. How long have you been playing games for? 
Um, well, I've been playing pretty much my whole life, really. I mean, um, started as a kid. I used to go. I wasn't really allowed a console. Like many parents, mine were a bit apprehensive to let me have consoles. Mm-hmm. So I used to have to go around my friend's house, but I'd spend you know many days there, and you know early morning, sort of playing these games on the N64 and throughout the day. And then um, you know, as I grew up, I you spent f- days there playing. Oh, days, yeah. Probably not actual days, okay, but, you know, okay. I mean, I was playing for a considerable amount of time. Yeah. Some might say antisociable amount of hours, but, yeah. you know, I enjoyed it and I was playing with friends. But um, as I grew up, I started playing different games. You know, I've got an Xbox 360, computer, computers and stuff like that. But, you know, now I'm at university and, you know, I'm doing many other things with my life as well. I'm sort of fearing that I'm not playing enough computer games. Which sounds crazy to a lot you, of people. You're saying you're not playing enough computer games that you need to play more. I would say so. Why? Well, I think they're so important in, in terms of, you know, these, you know, there's such a crazy, like, virtual environment that you can go into. They're so expansive. You know, when you're in a computer game, you know, you don't have to just be in the present. You can be in the past, in the Renaissance, yeah. you know, in Assassin's Creed, or you can be in the future. You can be anywhere, okay. sort of thing. Why? But people might be saying, yeah, but why don't you just go out and live now and see things and read books and, and look at nature and have rela- relationships with people? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I have many relationships with people. You know, I've got many friends and, you know, I've got a girlfriend. You know, I have a life, you know. You know, I go out and I d- do many things, play gigs, play some shows to people. But, um, you know, that's all very important. It's very important to experience nature and go out there. But it's also important to just you know see the imagination the innovation that goes into these games just have a new experience that you can have only in a game well psychologist dr richard house is the one that says uh, a growing number of children are failing to develop properly at a young age uh, and video games are being part of the problem he's a psychologist at the university of roehampton and an advisor for the save childhood movement uh, richard did you hear what john was just saying then yes uh, yes i did yes and yes. what do you think about that well, um... Does it worry you? People, yes, it does worry me, except I want to say straight away that um, it's quite possible and quite likely that in, fact, that, in fact, John is in fact fine. Okay. Um, it's very hard to actually sort of generalise about these things, but um, I suppose um, my concern would be for those children who are much uh, um, uh, um, younger. Mm. Um, and we're talking about, you know, children of sort of two, three, and four, who are being brought into this world um, of, well, let's call it this kind of virtual world, before they've actually gone through the kind of necessary physical, um, social, um, uh, um, developmental process that young children need to go through. So it's, so it's, actually, it's actually younger uh, um, kind of children that I'm particularly so um, worried about. So, yeah. R- Richard, you're saying that, that children of two, three, and four uh, would uh, have not yet developed the, the faculties to distinguish between what is real and what is perceived or, 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 or a computer game, and that might confuse them and, and affect their growth. Well, that's not what I was saying, but I think that what you said might well be so too. I'm okay. just uh, I'm just saying that that um, that basically between the ages of sort of zero and maybe five or six, mm. children n- need to develop um, physically. They, um, they actually need to move. Right. Okay. They need to learn through kind of movement. They need to take risks. You know, I mean, we've all seen young children walking along walls and jumping off walls and climbing trees, etc. That's how they learn about their own f- 
physical nature and and when you have young uh young children who start playing these sorts of uh um sort of games at 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 kind of very young ages the great danger is that it actually substitutes for for that physical uh kind of developmental uh, that, that kind of physical developmental stage, you see. How did you come to this conclusion? What evidence do you have to support this? Um, I've worked with um, young children for um, since about 1998. I'm a um, I'm a Steiner teacher. I've spoke to, spoken to uh, many many people. I've read um, research on this. Books that have been written on this. So it's so in fact so it's actually a whole range of evidence. Mm. Actually, yeah. John, what what age were you when you started playing games? I was very young. When well, probably about nine, ten. Yeah, yeah, probably around then. And that age doesn't concern you so much, Doctor. Um, no, it doesn't concern me so much. Um, uh, were I to have um, young children these days, um, I would think that nine, ten, or perhaps a bit older would would actually be an okay age for yeah. them to start getting into these games. But 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 what's happening is that. Um, children as young as sort of two and three in um, nurseries are being shown uh, uh, um, how to use mouses, they're using whiteboards, um, etc, etc. And I just don't think that at, hey. at um, that age, when they need to be learning, um, uh, um, they... They need to be learning regarding the uh, regarding the real world. They need to to kind of learn through through real experience, real um, relationships, rather than the kind of virtual um, um, uh, relationships that we're talking about here. Now, Richard, yeah. you said something there that's concerned me because you, you mentioned kids as young as three learning about how to use a mouse and stuff. My little boy's in nursery; he's two and a half. When he goes up to the yeah. next class, they've got computers in there with the, the have got a mouse and stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's not a worry though, is it? Because sure Surely that's part of today's society, and that's just setting them up for the world where the mouse. I've got two two mice in front of me now. That's yeah, part yeah, of the world, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but well, well, but um, children can learn how to use um, computer mouses at the age of seven, eight, or nine. They don't have to start learning at the age of two or three, and it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that you know if they sort of don't learn how to use um, computer mouses at the age of um, two or three, that they'll somehow be handicapped and, and they won't be able to later on. Yeah, and just say the other argument is that these, um, uh, that these kind of changes are now changing so fast that it's very likely that in three or four or five years' time, maybe we actually won't have um, we actually won't have mouses at all. Well, they're, well they're, they're developing technology where you do it with your eyes. It's all kind of changing so quickly now that you know that that the argument that all oh, all oh, we all oh, we have to introduce young children to these technologies now because if we don't, they're somehow going to be held back. Are you really that argument just doesn't hold doesn't hold any water are you, at all. Are you are you really? Saying that the child of three learning how to use a mouse that could could disadvantage them could be bad for their their health. I'm saying that that kind of experience um, substitutes for the kind of developmental experience that young children need to be having. Okay. Okay. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, but we we live in a computer age where it, it, it's integral for them to learn that. Would they not be disadvantaged if they they didn't have those skills? No, no, that's 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 kind of precisely what I was trying okay, to say. Yeah. That actually, um, children when they're six, seven, eight, 
nine can can learn these things okay. really really easily so yeah. the idea that, that to get sort of two and three year olds to be sort of sort of doing these kind of fine motor skills when they should be learning through gross motor movements mm. learning about their body their physicality moving running climbing that's what young children actually need to be doing richard can you stick around for a bit longer is that okay yeah sure I thank can. you yeah, very yeah. much i find it's absolutely fascinating we'll, we'll, we'll get back onto computer games uh, in a little bit but first let's find out a little bit about nick long this, this shows you should never put a monkey in a studio uh, there's me just reading words off the screen not nick long that's the name of the trail it's nick coffer of course and i shall apologize profusely when he comes in at about 20 past 11 to, to sell his show sorry nick he'll be upstairs going what he's got a foul temper on him he hasn't he's one of the nicest people in the world uh this is ian lee filling in for jvs we are asking are computer games a problem in your house i've got uh john from aylesbury who is a, a gamer good morning john good morning uh, and we've got dr richard house a psychologist at the university of roehampton good morning hi there uh now well let's go back to video games uh, a, a little bit are you worried about the content of some of these games richard well um Yes, I am. Um, there is, of course, a distinction between the kind of content and, the, and just the actual kind of process. And so far, it's the process that we've been um, speaking about. Yeah. But um, the evidence seems to show that violent uh, uh, kind of computer games do do seem to have a do seem to have a kind of to see, do seem to have a um, a negative effect on young children in terms of uh, their uh, propensity to uh, um, to violence uh, um, themselves, and um, there just needs to be um, research done on this. There has been some done, mm. but but the problem is, and it's very difficult to research into something like this. And what tends to happen is you actually get a load of research that actually seems to find a whole range of different findings. So I just think we do need more research on this. But um, uh, the evidence I've seen does certainly indicate that there is something to be um, worried about there. Again, particularly when it's younger children who are actually exposed to these things. John, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, I've played many a violent game and it's I, I take more of this so i don't sort of attach my morals to it you know i'm killing a guy on a game but it's more about the competitive edge to it you know i want to get to the top of the leaderboard i'm sort of working that element of it you can distinguish be- between the fact that the man you're shooting in the game it's a game it's th- th- that it doesn't conf- there's no blurring of the boundaries of real life and games there. no I, I guess not now and and i guess what i get what people might worry about is as realism continues as mm. you know 3d games come more realistic you know you're you're putting on headsets and you're immersing your whole body into this experience that maybe that you know gap might get a little bit closer and people yeah. might find it hard yeah you know to see where that boundary but, is but, but richard isn't that the same with films though it, it, it it's the same with films that, that they can confuse people and that a small minority who perhaps have a propensity towards violence anyway that seeing a violent film could cause them to act out um yes it could do but um i, I think with uh, with video games computer games we're we're talking about a kind of different medium which is a very repetitive medium where where there's a kind of repeated process that in fact people actually re- return to and go through it uh, and the whole go through the whole thing again and again and again when you're actually watching a film most people just watch a film once and kind of that's it and so and so the chances of there being some kind of deeper change resulting from that is actually um, is actually less i think and is there any evidence to suggest that, that, that there there is a deeper change through playing video games 
Well, as I said earlier, there, um, there, there, are, there are a whole range of research findings, and, and certainly some of them do, do seem to show that children who, um, um, children who engage with these sorts of games, when they then measure um, their kind of subsequent way of, way of being kind of behavior, mm. they do seem to, to show more propensity to um, violence, lack of um, um, lack of uh, uh, concern for um, the other person compassion etc those you know those kind of things and that's what mm. we really need to get clear about because obviously if it, you know if this if this is a real effect mm. then um, then then obviously we all need to know about it I know you know, parents particularly need to know about it Dale has uh, called us on 08459 double five. Dale uh, tell me your story Hello, um, sorry, it's Daryl, by the way. Daryl, I do apologise, that's it, it's gone. That's okay, um, I just, I don't think that they're that much of a problem. I'm, I'm 24 years old and I've been playing computer games since I was about nine years old, and, yeah. you know, I've played games that most people would consider violent from these days, such as Grand Theft Auto and games like that, and yes, they are games that, they have an age rating, you know, it, it's not the case of you know, of children playing these games is what makes them violence. Yes, it could be a bad influence, but surely if the game isn't designed for that for a child to play, then they shouldn't be playing it. It's not the game's fault. It should be the parents making sure that they're not playing yeah. the game. Yeah. Daryl, have you ever um, pulled a man out of a car and jumped into it and, and driven it away? No, because my parents brought me up to know right from wrong. Yeah. That, that, that's an interesting point, isn't it, Richard? That the games now, um, most of them, it's not compulsory, I don't, th- I don't think it's compulsory yet, but most of them have got an age rating. So something like Grand Theft Auto has got an 18 rating. Uh, and that's then down the responsibility of the parents to make sure that kids under that age don't play it. It, 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 it certainly is. But, um, um, but the problem is that parents, um, that some parents, there was actually some research done last year which showed that around about 50% of, of your parents don't know what uh, um, what the age um, range is, or in fact, what what or what yeah. what the actual sort of content is of the game that the children is playing. So it does seem as if um, parents, well, not you know, some parents. I mustn't generalise again. Some parents, maybe up to half, aren't as kind of aware of that as they ought to be. And of course, we all know from our own kind of childhoods that we all kind of you know found ways of kind of doing things that we weren't supposed to be that's doing. All part of growing that's, up. that's part of being a child, so that needs mm. to be kind of thought about as well. I, I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was 10 years old. Oh, yeah. I, I, wish, <laughs> I, wish I, hadn't, I wish I hadn't found yeah. that tape. John, very quickly, yeah. Grand Theft Auto is a really violent game. You go yeah. around beating women over the head with sticks, you steal yeah. cars, you stuff. That's too violent. I, I mean, it is. It, but then again, you could say that about some films you watch. You know, you see plenty of graphic films that make you go, you know, you'd never want to be in that situation. But, you know, it's it's just putting your mind through that experience and no one sort of... Why would you put your mind through the experience of hitting someone over the head with a bit of wood and shooting them? I guess if you put it like that, it doesn't sound very pleasing. But, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's just, I don't know how to explain it, really, but people just enjoy just entering some different life just to okay. be in that virtual environment and talking to john from yeah. aylesbury who is a gamer i'm also talking to dr richard house who's a psychologist at the university of roehampton uh, it'd be good to talk to you if you've got a story on this are computer games a problem in your house oh eight four five nine four double five five double five and if you're a parent do you let your kids play games that are rated older than perhaps they should be playing
I'll talk to you after this. Mike and the Mechanics over my shoulder. This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon Smith. I'm enjoying myself today. I've enjoyed it every day, to be honest, but uh, today I'm really enjoying this. Having a fantastic uh, chat about our computer games a problem in your house. I've got John from Aylesbury with me, who's a gamer. Also got Dr Richard House. If you have children or grandchildren who love computer games, do you limit the time they spend on them? Uh, if you do, give us a call. 08459 455 555. We'll take your calls and uh, get your stories after the latest travel. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're asking, are computer games a problem in your house? An advisor for a new lobby group called Save Childhood Movement says computer games are hindering children from learning about being human. Uh, that's Dr Richard House, who's a psychologist at the University of Roehampton. They're hindering uh, children from, uh, from being hum- learning about being human. So what skills, Richard, would you say are, are perhaps being lost? Well, um, I wouldn't use the word skills. It would it would be more just it would be more to say that 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 the way that uh, and the way children again I'm I'm talking about kind of young children here. Mm. Um, the way that young children learn about being human is through real um, um, relationships. So they they have to learn about all all the kind of complexities of kind of relationships, their own feelings, the others' feelings. Balancing out their own needs and kind of desires with you know the others, um, uh, and feelings of of you know jealousy, competitiveness, etc., etc., which uh, which we all have to learn about, and and it's and it's through real human relationships that children learn about all those things. And I suppose my concern is that, that if if kind of too much time is spent in kind of virtual uh, um, relationships, then there is, a, there is a sort of displacement effect where children aren't going to be having sufficient time to actually kind of learn about all those things. We've got Ollie Christie on the line. Ollie is the managing director of Neon Play, which has created the games Flip Football and uh, Paper Glider and is a board member of Tiger. Good morning, Ollie. Hi, Ian. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you very much. I, I don't know if you just heard what uh, the doctor was saying then, and he's, he's talking uh, mainly about more about younger children, sort of two, three, four, five. What are your views on this, Ollie? Do you think that, that it's stopping children learning about being human, playing video games? I think for me, like anything in life, if anything is done to excess, it's bad for you. And I think the same applies to children. When I've got a two-year-old, six-year-old, and eight-year-old, and I very, very occasionally let the older two play on the iPad, play a game, and even our little one occasionally also, you know, for like five or ten minutes we do it, but it's about, about the parents actually having the responsibility yeah. To, yeah. to moderate how much access their children have to it. I want, I'd rather they were outside playing games or spending time playing with us, playing with toys and stuff, but, you know, occasionally games are actually good, they're educational, they can help with the hand-eye coordination and reactions, so it's actually part of the developmental process. Richard? Um, I don't completely disagree with that, um, but I would say that um, that just because there are things that children can learn through kind of games, that, that therefore uh, that therefore games are a good thing. I just don't think that that uh, that, uh, that argument uh, um, follows because children can actually can kind of learn all these things um, through um, through all kinds of 
means. They don't have to kind of learn them, don't have to kind of, to kind of learn them through computer games. But R- Richard, Ollie sounds like a, a very responsible parent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. that he's, he's maybe getting this right by, yeah. by limiting the amount of time yeah, yeah. that they're allowed uh, to, to play with video games. Yeah. Uh, Ollie, was there, because um, it's funny, because I do play video games at home. I should lay my cards on the table. <laughs> uh, and my wife, I've got a boy who's two and a half, and I'm kind of quite responsible. If he's in the house or if he's downstairs, I won't, I won't have the Xbox on because I yeah. don't think it's particularly appropriate yeah. for him to see that. Uh, but my wife and I have already had arguments about when he will be allowed to play computer games because he will be allowed if mm. I have my way. My wife's kind of dead against it. Ollie, did you have a discussion mm. with your wife or your partner about video games? Um, I, I mean, I'm actually um, quite keen to not rush into them, yeah. you know, getting yeah. a Nintendo DS or an Xbox yeah. or anything like that. Because um, I'm, I'm actually in that camp whereby I think children shouldn't, shouldn't play too young. But I do think there are certain types of games which is perfect for them to play. You know, my kid's got a Thomas the Tank Engine app, and it's very, very simple. It's puzzles. It's, it's a memory game, so it's like a matching the pairs game. So it's, it's actually developing, developing their brain. You know, there are certain ways that you can do a memory game. So I could play Snap with cards on the floor, but it's so much more engaging and interactive, actually, whereby he can sit there and I can play with him, and you get the ward theme or the sonic reward as well. Ollie, I can I can hear people at home going, "Hang on a second. I used I, well I used to play pairs with my granddad where we'd have all the cards set out and we would turn over the cards and try and get a pair. Surely it's better to be playing it with 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 cards. Isn't that isn't that more real?" Yeah. yeah. Well, I would I would I would do both, you know, we do do both, but I I think it's up to the parents to be responsible and not just let the electronic babysitter, whether it's the iPad mm. or the TV yeah. just do the job. It's, it's it's a happy balance. You mentioned something yeah. there and, and Richard, my little boy is two and a half. I I was amazed that the, the other day he knows how to work my iPhone. He knows how to unlock it and to get the um, uh, to get the YouTube up because he knows that the the, the train colours song is on YouTube. He yeah. knows how to look at the photos. Yeah. I know, I know. I was su- surprised by this. Yeah, that's not a Child- problem, is it? Children are brilliant at copying. Young children, they observe. The, and I'm talking about very young children. They observe the world and they copy all the time. This and this is the if you could if you like this is the main reason why grown ups have a huge um, a huge responsibility in terms of the kind of worlds that they create around their children. And I have to say that uh, um, uh, uh, um, in fact the chap that you have on there, sorry I've forgotten his name. It's Ollie. So, yeah, Ollie sounds like a very responsible you know, parent. Unfortunately, all families aren't. Uh, uh, um, yeah. um, they're not like that, and those are the ones that we need to be kind of concerned about. I think we've got John uh, from Ellsbury with us, who's a gamer. John, I, I guess you would probably. Yeah. Agree. I don't know if you haven't got kids or anything, have you? Um, no. <laughs> uh, I, I guess you would probably agree with that. That it's it's down to sensible parenting. Yeah, I mean, you do have to have that sensible parenting to sort of. Back you up i mean my parents wouldn't let me have a console till i was a bit older Mm. um but i did play um interactive games on the computer so i had like an aladdin game where i used to put mosaics together or Mm. you know count the spiders and do different things and because i was quite an interactive learner i wasn't in the classroom i was sort of probably the kid that would be you know not listening to the teacher i couldn't i needed something else to really get me involved in Mm. something and it's those interactive things you know i found on the computer and i played games like mass blaster which sounds ridiculous but you know it helped me learn you know Oh, basic Richard, he's got a good point there yeah. that some people yeah, aren't, yeah. don't fit into the yeah. classroom particularly well, and these yeah, things yeah. can be really educational. Yeah, I know. I think this is this is uh, um, this is why why I said the first thing I said is really important. 
but you can't kind of generalize about these things. No. There um there um there uh, there aren't going to be some children for whom these sorts of games are probably going to be really really helpful and will probably help them kind of learn in ways that the other um, uh, learning experiences they have perhaps kind of don't do because that particular child has a kind of particular way of learning so so you can see the whole thing gets very very sort mm. of complex but 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 uh, what the important thing to do is that we have a conversation about this yep. and that's why what you're doing this morning on your program is fantastic we can we can get people to think about these things and that's that's what we need to do I, I, so I think you're absolutely right I, I didn't start I, to make responsible decisions about them I think you're right we've got Maria on the line hello Maria good morning oh, God, that was a little bit higher than I was expecting <laughs> good morning uh, Maria, what's your what's your take on all of this? Well, I have a, a lovely son. He's the third of my children. He's yes. twenty five now, and uh, he's a computer games uh, tester. He oh. studied computer games design at university. And he's a tester. That's uh, John. That probably is probably your dream job, isn't it? Testing video games. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and has has how long is he? What what age did he start being interested in computer games? I I I don't know. You know, when children are playing with their friends or by themselves, uh, you know, somebody like me would be happy, they're quiet. He, he has a, a wonderful disposition. He's very kind and gentle and wouldn't allow you to criticize anybody at any time. And I think it's in the makeup of the person because he's always wearing headphones and I never, ever at any time got involved in these computer games. He was a brilliant student of history and geography and maths and all the other subjects. So. I, I only got a shock when he decided when he was going to university that that's what he was going to study. And I just thought, well, they, I will tell you, let your child follow his dream. Maria, I'm going to ask you a question. Can I make a point here? Yeah, yeah. Who's, is this Ollie? Yeah, it is. Yes, go on, Ollie. I, mean, I think it's a good point that he's a computer games tester. I mean, in the UK, there are 9,000 educated people in games development, and it's a fantastic success story in this country. And, you know, and there are a lot of people doing math and science and arts degrees, and if you can get into the games industry, it's just the best job in the world. And we should be proud of the industry. The pay you know, we're is looking not for good. games developers at the moment. <laughs> what was that, Maria? The pay is not good. N- no, it's very difficult to get up for, the ladder. For very, testing, very. it's not particularly brilliant. But if he keeps on designing, but the, and you're right, Ali makes a good point there, uh, Richard. The, the, the British video game industry is one of the pioneers. Uh, in the world, we kind of started. We, we kind of picked up the baton a little bit in the eighties with all the home programmers like Matthew Smith and all of these people. And we've got some of the biggest games companies in the world. We should be celebrating that, should we? They make more money than than Hollywood does. Well, it's bigger than the film industry. Exactly. But it's very difficult to, to understand that because there are so few jobs for the young people once they graduate. Richard, we should be should be celebrating and applauding those well, achievements. I think this is a very difficult argument to, to get into. I could equally say, well, you know, the arms industry. Uh, we should be proud. Good, good comeback, fair play. Good comeback. You know, so, so I think we've got to be careful about that kind of you argument. You can't really. compare the, ga- the games industry to the no, arms industry. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing that. Although actually, no. now you mention it, perhaps I might try and do that. But no, I was just making a general point that that in fact the kind of nature of the argument that was being used yep. is is actually problematic there. Okay. Listen, uh, stick around. We're yeah. going to play some music. It's, it's fascinating. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you've got a, a, a story about this, I'd love to know if you let your. What age did you let your kids play video games? Because it, you can't stop them playing games, can you? 
Maybe you did. Maybe you, you, you stopped them. But when kids go to school, someone's going to have a little Nintendo or a, a PSP or they're going to be getting bullied because they've not played the latest Grand Theft Auto game. 08459 555. This is Donna Summer. Calm down, love. Come on. Donna Summer, MacArthur Park, which I think was written by Jimmy Webb. Am I really thinking it was Jimmy Webb's song? This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS after 11. It's the Consumer Hour. Uh, we have a few updates for you, but before then we are asking, are computer games a problem in your house? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Oh, it stopped very suddenly. Thank you very much for that. I've got John from Aylesbury uh, here with me in the studio. Hello, John. Hiya. Uh, you're a gamer. I am. Um, and we've got Dr. Richard House, who's a psychologist at the University of Roehampton. And uh, your uh, advice, very, in, in a sentence, uh, Richard, what is the Save Childhood Movement? Um, a Save Childhood, oh, one sentence. Oh, dear, dear. I'll give you there two. Might be lots of sort of, sort of semicolons in it. <laughs> okay. um, um, it's, it's, it's a kind of movement that's come together to, to try to kind of draw together um, the whole range of uh, people and kind of groups who are concerned about, uh, about childhood and the effect of the kind of modern world, uh, the kind of modern uh, um, sort of technological world on childhood. Um, the, pro- probably the main theme is that children are actually growing up maybe kind of um kind of much much more um uh quickly than is um than in fact is actually good for them so we're so we're trying to draw together all all the interests that are are kind of concerned about this we've got ollie yeah. christie as well he's the managing director of neon play uh ollie what's your take on this i mean i agree that i think kids are growing up too far and it's a concern that you know we, we all have but i think from a game's point of view we mustn't forget that games are fun you know they're enriching they're social there are games like we fit and the playstation move when you're actually doing activities so in this increasing sedentary world where people are in front of computers and watching yeah. tv games can actually be a force for good where actually you're stimulating people you're not sitting there you're actually doing activity they're competitive as well so people can actually start to feel that competition which has seemed to be lacking more and more in schools and it can help children make friends you've mentioned the word that we've all neglected to mention in this hour they are fun richard they're fun they're just fun to There's play no a game <laughs> fun well no it's not it's not, it's not fun it's not no 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 let's this is very important this it's not that they are fun it's that children are wonderful at making fun out of whatever they actually kind of engage with so, so, that, so there's nothing intrinsic about the game itself that's actually fun it's what children no, make of it and children children have fun in whole myriads of yeah. kind of different ways and so the kind of question is is the kind of fun that um children have using this medium is kind of you know is um healthier for them than the kind of fun that they can have in all kinds of other different ways it's not That's necessarily, a crucial it's question. necessarily healthier but you know it's about having a, a range of experiences i mean a game can give you something that the outdoors might not but you've got to have a healthy balance you know if you're able to balance the two and you've got good parenting there and you you yeah. can use it wisely yeah. then games can be such a great sort of help to your life and you know it you know it helped me educate me in a lot of things you know in my maths and and everything like that and if we can get more of that sort of stuff in schools and stuff it i think it would skyrocket uh we've got steve on the line steve what's your what's your take on all of this hello steve hello can you hear oh, me oh yeah sorry I, that was my fault yes what's your take on this steve yeah um i've got a son that basically up until probably five years ago and he's only 14 now um basically wouldn't go out wouldn't talk to anybody um wasn't sociable 
he got diagnosed with having ADHD, um, and he wasn't doing very well at school. And then he got into the world of um, online gaming with his friends that he knew, and that's the only way. And then we sort of I introduced him to some of my friends because obviously I, I was more online than he was. And then he now has got his own friends. He talks. You can hear him saying when he's playing, he plays a lot of football games. It's like ref, ref, come on, and it's like, <laughs> and, and 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 for a kid that we honestly didn't think would do very well at school, he's getting A's and B's. Where at one point we actually thought he was going to have to have like. Um, Hang on. A special education. So are you, you saying know? that, that so he, he plays it what on an Xbox or something with a little headset, yeah. so he can yeah, he can yeah, chat to his mates. And are you saying that playing FIFA online has raised his grades at school? I, I personally, well, it's raised his, his his thing to interact with people. Okay. He's mm. through so. I mean, he goes out with yeah. his friends at weekends and everything. But obviously, where we live on this state we live on, you come home. What would you do? Hang around the streets or? His friends live like over the other side because our school's like three miles away from where we live because obviously they shut all the schools down. So uh, obviously his friends live three miles away, and for a kid to go three miles to school, then come home, then go three miles back, and then three miles back again, um, I don't think sometimes it's safe. And obviously the weather's bad, and you know, and that's what he's got into. And you know, it's, it, his social skills have improved. I think uh, games can definitely give you um, confidence as well because, you know, you get that sense of achievement from a game. You can set the level of difficulty to whatever you want and you can set goals for yourself and you can achieve things. And uh, I think when you said um, your your son got better grades, you know, by playing FIFA, you know, he's got that competitive edge. You know, he's playing with his friends. He's sort of... Um, stimulating his mind and then when he goes back to school he's using those same real world skills but just applying it there we've got david on the line david your son plays games online does he uh well yeah he's an adult now but when he was a kid at school i was a bit concerned because he was just playing video games all the time and when he left school he didn't do sixth form or anything he wasn't particularly bright at the academic subjects but he was always gaming and always playing games and uh, our family hobby was um go-kart racing and today he's a 30 year old who does um He's the consultant on the top Formula One game with a firm called Codemasters. It's the top oh. Formula One game people play. He's the racing driver who's put all the information into the thing. Really? And earns a good living and also is a simulator driver for a Formula One team. <laughs> See, Richard, th- th- there's, you know, this, 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 we've, we're hearing from people who've made careers out of video games. Well, this, um, what we've just heard, just just kind of makes, just, just, just reinforces what we were saying earlier, that, that there are going to be some um, situations with some, some, particu- some particular families um, and children where, um, where in fact, um, um, your games might well help them. But, but the problem is that we can't kind of generalise about that. And, uh, I mean, I've been sort of careful not to do that. And, um, and I think, as I said earlier, what, what we need is to have a like, like a really discerning, um, um, like, a, like a really discerning conversation about all this, such that we can begin to know when it is going to be helpful for children, or you know, for no, for for particular children, and when it's not going to be. My strong hunch is it's it's actually, it's it's going to be ha- harmful for more children than it's going to be uh, than it's going to be okay. uh, going to be. Richard, I've got to pick. We're running out of time. I'm going to pick you up there yeah. slightly. Is that, you, yeah. that you are now generalising after saying you won't? In what sense? Well, that you're saying that you think it's more. It is more harmful than not. 
that would be a generalisation and well, ignoring I'm, the case studies. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm sort of taking a view based, uh, 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 I'm kind of based on all the kind of research that I've looked at and all okay. the experience that I've had, and that's okay. and that's that, that's okay. what basically that basically what I can do. But what I'm not saying is that it's not helpful to say that all computer games are actually all. They're, that they're just kind of all bad. That's that's not very helpful. And I think that in fact the people that have actually phoned in on your show have have made some very very good kind of points about that. Mm. Uh, okay, I think, listen. I think it's a modern world, and I think we need to accept that there is change, but we need to embrace it and just be responsible. And one thing I finally say is that Tiger um, T I G A dot org have got a consumer advice thing there. So if anyone wants to get advice about games and parental controls, it's all on there. For, well, uh, I'll give you a sentence, uh, Ollie. What is Tiger? Tiger is the, uh, the trade body representing the UK's games industry, really, trying to help okay. our members um, grow, grow the UK games industry. Ollie, thank you very much. That's Ollie Christie, who's CEO of uh, Neon, Pla- Neon Play, uh, responsible for the games Flip Football. You try saying that. Flip Football. Uh, and Paper Glider, we had Dr Richard House, who's a psychologist at the University of Roehampton. Uh, and also we had uh, uh, John from Aylesbury. It was John, wasn't it? It was John, yeah. <laughs> well done. It'd be a bit late now if you didn't get my name right. That, 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 that aspirin's just starting to kick in. It'd be very, very rude. Uh, John from Aylesbury, who, who is a gamer. Thank you very much for coming in. No coming worries. up, uh, after 11 o'clock, we'll be talking uh, about your consumer issues. But first, it's Jason Morantz. This is Ian Lee filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. The Consumer Hour is coming up next, but let's get the latest on the roads. Coming up in the next hour, we'll be finding out about Rebecca and her mobile and Terry and his scratch cards. If you've got a consumer issue, you can give us a call now, 08459 455 555. It's the JVS show, and between now and 12, I'll be looking at your consumer problems. If you've got an issue that you'd like us to look at, get in touch with the team. Today, there'll be an update for Rebecca. Rebecca wanted to upgrade her mobile phone, and she told us that she spoke to her provider before purchasing a new handset. They said you can either go into a store, as long as you call us whilst you're in a store, we can upgrade it that way. Alternatively, we can post it. I was just going shopping anyway, so went into a store called whilst in the store to upgrade as it said two days later hated the phone rebecca told us that she was under the impression that she was able to exchange the phone within seven days if she was dissatisfied with the product however the provider is saying that this was only an option if the handset was bought over the phone i'll also be talking to terry terry was on holiday in gran canaria with his partner michelle when they were approached by two men who said they were from the tourist board in the end they gave us some scratch cards one of us won a white star which won a t-shirt and one of us was a gold star they were so excited they immediately told us the star was unheard of and we had won a, a really good prize Well, then they were whisked off to a hotel and spent three hours in the sun with a bottle of wine whilst the company delivered a presentation about a scheme which sounded so good that Terry signed up for it at a cost of €7,000. We'll find out what the latest is on both those stories and more. And if you've got a consumer problem that you want us to look at, 08459 455 555. The JVS Show. Fighting for your rights and tackling your consumer problems. The JVS Show. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is the Consumer Hour on the JVS Show. I'm Ian Lee, filling in for Jonathan. He's back on Monday. Two more days in me. You can you can stand that. I think you can. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. If you've got a consumer problem, we might be able to help. This is Ian Lee filling in for JVS. 
Uh, this is the consumer out. I love this bit. I love this bit of the show. I love the whole show. This is my favourite bit. Although when I took the job, I wasn't told I would actually have to phone up companies. I just assumed that, you know, like the team would do it. But I've actually got to... I've been sitting around making phone calls to companies, and uh, it's, it's quite an eye-opener, let me tell you that. Uh, if you've got a consumer issue, 08459 455 555. Uh, we've got uh, Don. Hello, Don. Good, good morning. Good morning. Don, you're, uh, you've got a, a new problem for us. Tell me the problem without mentioning any brand names or the company names or anything like that, please. Yep. OK. Um, last, uh, last May, I um, bought a hosting package with emails and everything like that from a company yeah um transferred my domain over to them and basically everything went fine and everything like that this this may i had a email saying that it's due for you and they wanted 64 pounds 66 which i thought was a little bit steep um so i had to look around for another company found another company to um ha- to, to host it all um, and they said that I needed to contact my current provider and get all the IPS tags changed. So I didn't know how to do that. So I phoned up their support desk and said, I've, um, I, I want to transfer everything I have with you over to another company. And they told me how to do everything on, 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 the, on the website. Mm. Um, and so I assumed everything had been done. As I, as I, as I said, I, I wanted everything transferred over. About a month later, I had an email saying that they'd been unable to take the payment. Um, uh, who, who, phoned, sorry, who had been unable to take the payment? The, 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 the original company. The original company, OK. The original company. Um, so I phoned them up, and they said, well, we haven't got a note of that you wanted to cancel the account. So I said, well, I asked for everything to be changed over. They said, oh, the best open up a support ticket. So I opened up a support ticket. They... I never actually got an email response from that, although, however, they have sent, sent, me, sent me the response that they said that they sent. Um, basically saying that because they can't find any request to cancel it, yeah. that I have to pay it. So the other day I got another email saying that, again, they've been unable to take it, so I phoned them up. This is when they, they resent out this response. And basically they said that to, to cancel the account, I need to pay the invoice for £64.66, which is for the year. They will then cancel the account. Uh, at the moment, they said the, we- the invoice is a week overdue. So, so you'd, have I, to pay, you'd have to pay the full money for them to cancel yep. the account, but you wouldn't get that money back? No, that's it. That's it. I said, so would you, would you then refund the further 51 weeks if I paid it? And they said, no, there's no pro rata refunds. Now, you said that the company claimed they didn't have any communication from you that you wanted to cancel it how did you let them know you wanted to cancel it i, I phoned them up because obviously that I, I said that i needed to change the ips tags and they said that will initiate the transfer so you didn't do any of this by email no so you haven't got any emails from the company with you saying i'd like to cancel this and then saying okay no. this is what you need to do it was all done by phone no i mean i'll quite happily pay pay an amount to obviously bring the invoice up to date um, and that they said no, they they won't do that. So you're, you're, you're happy to pay the, the one pound. You're happy to pay the one pound fifty or whatever it is for the week. 
that yep. you've had it, but then you want to transfer it and you don't want to pay any more money. I don't want to cancel. It needs to be cancelled. This sounds, um, uh, uh, it, it sounds complicated, uh, made slightly more complicated by the fact that this was all done over the phone, so there's no yep. paper trail of your request. Ben, what, what's your take on this? Well, what I'm wondering is, you, you said you requested, was it IPS tags? Is that what you yeah. said? Would yep. you request those tags for any other reason than to transfer? No. No. So the only reason you'd request that information would be to transfer that account. So yes. that suggests that if they were giving you that information and they gave you the tags, then yep. then there would be some well, they, knowledge they, about... They how advised me how I could change the tags. Um, I was on the phone to the person at the time, and they, they basically told me how to do it, and then it was done, and they said, that's fine, that will initiate the transfer. Have they acknowledged that they've... Have they acknowledged they have a record of that phone conversation taking place, with the, 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 no. giving you the tags? No, what I, I, I can read. Um, if you give me two seconds, while I just bring it up. I can read you the response that they, that they have sent. Um, this is a response to, to you requesting to to cancel it. Yes, um, right. What they have said is that their original response, which they said was sent on the twenty third of June, is I've had a look through the support tickets and history of your account. You can see no record of your intent to close the the package prior to this renewal date. So if, what, if what you're saying is true, uh, Don, then basically, yep. the, um, you know, there, there are two sides to this, so I'm not even assuming that anyone is right or wrong. But the, the, it would appear that if what you're saying is true, the person you spoke to on the phone has failed to type this into a computer and hit send yeah. or something, so it's not yep. been logged. Yeah. Ben? Yeah, I think we just need to have a conversation with the company and find out what their kind of, uh, their, their, their timetable of events is. See mm. what, what yeah. you know, if they've, they've got this record of this conversation, see if maybe it's been put somewhere else, find out what's going on here and, and see what, what, where the company's coming. Uh, so I, I, I will quite happily, even if it's a month, pay for a month to bring, so to bring the account back to life, in effect, because they said they've now suspended the account. Um, I'll quite happily pay for a month to bring that account up to date and then for them to initiate the, can- the cancellation. In the, mean- we- in the meantime, uh, Don, is, is, your, is your website down? No, no, no it's, it's okay, been it's, transferred to okay. another company. Okay, so it's, it's, it's up on the other company. Well, listen, yeah. I, I, I'm going to let Ben deal with this one, and I have seen Ben at, at work in the office. He's very efficient. He's, <laughs> he's, ben, isn't he? he's very, very efficient. So, uh, uh, Don, listen, uh, Ben, I'm sure, has got all the details. Uh, you, you, can you chase that one up today? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll have a conversation with Don off air. Oh, actually, stay there, because I think we might have uh, a caller. Uh, Rob? Yeah, hi. Rob, again, don't mention any company names or anything like this, but no. you, you, you can contribute to Don's problem, can you? Yeah, I want to get into that hosting industry. Uh, so I just want to clear up a few things that maybe you're not aware of. When you, when you have an internet hosting app... Uh, uh, Rob? Uh, Rob? Rob? Rob, are you there? Rob has been silenced by the internet hosting industry. <laughs> they don't want him to come to you. Don, keep listening, because if we can get Rob back yep. later on in the show, we'll, we'll see what he has to say. But otherwise, um, the, the, yes, keep listening. We'll try and get uh, Rob back. Uh, but otherwise, Ben, I'll leave that with you, yes, and we'll absolutely. see We'll see how we get on with that. This is Ian Lee. I'm getting email updates for other for other uh, stories as well throughout the show. It's exciting. Oh, I can see why Jonathan enjoys this. It is exciting. I, won't really, I, I will do those later on. Calm down. Calm down. Now... Rebecca wanted to upgrade her mobile phone. She told us that she spoke to her provider before purchasing a new handset. They said you can either go into a store, as long as you call us whilst you're in a store, we can upgrade it that way. Alternatively, we can post it. I was going shopping anyway, so went into a store. 
called whilst in the store to upgrade as I'd said two days later hated the phone called their customer service team they said sorry you upgraded in the store so you don't have seven days grace no so they'd said that if you'd done it on the phone and they delivered it to you Who? you would have had seven days grace who's that yes but they didn't say that to me at any point before i actually upgraded who was who that weird man talking in the studio with her who was that common thug when did you dub that stupid voice in rebecca's on the line now good morning rebecca Good morning. Yes, yeah, so I didn't. Why did no one tell me I sounded like an idiot? <laughs> uh, ben, you've been dealing with this one, haven't you? Yes, absolutely. We've been dealing with the the mobile phone company who are uh, T-Mobile, and they've got a statement for us. They've said we understand that in this case, the customer has upgraded to a phone that she later wanted to return. Unfortunately, as the phone had been used, we were unable to accept this return. But due to exceptional circumstances, we have arranged for the customer to return the phone and choose an alternative as a gesture of goodwill. Rebecca, are you happy about that? I'm fantastically happy. However, that wasn't mentioned to me when they called me on two days ago. But the, I've been oh, right, so they've communicated with you. That Have they sent anything out for you to return that? No, they will be. I think that's as far as we've got so right. far. Is we'll send you some packaging, and then obviously... You can um, you can return the. the That's phone. fine. But Ben, there are there are there are stipulations with this, aren't there? You were telling me. Yes. Uh, essentially, what happens is we go back to the same process that you were at initially. This is going to be another upgrade, and the way you choose to upgrade is entirely up to you. You can do that over the phone, or you can do it in the store. Now, the issue with this was that it was, it's all down to distance selling regulations. Mm. Now, distance selling regulations only apply to distant selling so something over the phone over the internet something where you do not see the product or hold it in your hands when you are buying it so you have a period of time where you can have a look at it if it's not fit for your purpose if you don't like it you have seven days to return it and that's fine if you buy something in a shop however you do not have those same rights and that's what was happening with this case here so when you go back to to upgrade your phone you can either do it over the phone where distance selling regulations will apply, or you can do it in the store. If you do it in the store, then you do not have this, this opportunity to, to return it if you don't like it. So basically, the company in this instance were not obliged to, to do this. No. Nope. Uh, but they are doing it, and they're being very generous in doing it. But don't, you know, if you choose a phone in the, in the store, Rebecca, make sure it's one you like, because you probably won't get this opportunity again. No. Okay, um, okay. I mean, obviously, my query was always the fact that I wasn't actually informed that that was, that was the case. However, hindsight's a great thing. So, yes, I think a distant selling from now on seems the way forward. Okay. Absolutely. Have we, uh, hang on a minute. Uh, have we got a happy, cu- uh, happy customer well, here? I think, I think we've got a horn here. <laughs> <laughs> They've given me control of the horn. We found it in a box yesterday. <laughs> Fantastic. Feels good to be alive, doesn't yes, it? Doesn't it, Jess? Feels good to be alive. <laughs> Rebecca, just if you choose a phone, just make sure you choose the right one, please. I don't want to see you again. Not that you weren't pleasant, but I just don't want to see you again, okay? And we had so much fun, but thank you so much for your help, guys. <laughs> thank you very much, Rebecca. There we go. Well done. Excellent work, Ben. Good, good, good work there. So the thing, you've got to be very careful when you're, when you're buying these things, that you get exactly the right one. Otherwise, it can be a, a terrible, terrible mess. If you want to give us a call with your consumer problem, 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number if you'd like to do that. Now... This Monday, the Olympic torch concludes its journey across the three counties after a very early start in Luton. Yeah, I'm going to be there at the early start in Luton on Monday. I know. You can come and look. Don't touch me, please. Uh, The torch makes its way through Dunstable and on to Milton Keynes. 
It's then on to Bletchley, Buckingham and Winslow. After Whitchurch, the uh, torch will make its way through Aylesbury, Stoke Mandeville and then on to Waddesdon. We will be there so you don't miss a thing. We are your Olympic station. We are BBC Three Counties Radio. And I will be there Monday. I'm, I'm filling in for breakfast. Uh, for a few weeks, I think three or four weeks, I'm not quite sure, um, and I'm looking forward to it immensely, uh, but I'm not looking forward to getting up ridiculously early. That's the thing that's, that's going to worry me. And if you're around at, at six o'clock, at silly o'clock on, on Monday morning, uh, and you want to come along and say hello, do. Uh, it'll be nice to, to meet the people who are listening uh, to this, although I'm not completely on my own. As I say, you can come and say hello, please don't touch me. Please don't touch me. Um, we are going to play a song and then we'll come back with another update. This is Ian Lee. Fill- oh, it's a bit, bit squeaky there. Did you hear that? A little bit high pitched, a little bit excited. This is Ian Lee filling in uh, for Jonathan Vernon Smith uh, while he's away on his holiday. It's the consumer hour. Uh, and this is where we kind of d- do our best to sort out your consumer problems. There's a pretty good hit rate. So if you're sitting at home thinking, well, there's this company and they owe me this 20 quid and I kind of feel that I should get it back, but I'm, I'm, I'm being confronted by a brick wall all the time then you, you can give us a call because we'll have a go it'll be either, either me or ben could be jonathan next week as well i'll be handing i'll be typing up my case notes before i before i took over this jonathan sent me a very long detailed and firm email uh, telling me about all of the cases which ones i was allowed to touch which ones i was not allowed to touch and there are a few there are a few that he wants to resolve himself i believe there's something about a stuffed cat uh, and then he left very strict instructions saying, Ian, I want two updates for when I return, uh, and I want to be kept up to date with all of the stories that have taken place. So I've got to type a little little essay for him tomorrow to, uh, to send on and tell him what's happened. Uh, one of the stories that I will be telling him about uh, was Maureen, who uh, told us that she'd ordered some electronic cigarettes to help her cut down on her smoking. When I ordered them uh, and they came, I found that they charged me for them because, unfortunately, I gave them my card details, which I wish I hadn't now. Yeah, but you'd ordered them, so why wouldn't they charge you for them? Well, they were supposed to be free for 14 days. All they said was they only wanted a penny off my card. So they've taken the money. How much money have they taken from you? Twenty-six ninety. Maureen, you're on the line. Yes, I it, am. Hello, you're uh, doing a wonderful job. You're very, very kind, Maureen, and I didn't think that we would get to speak to each other again because no. the case was resolved. But I believe you found out with a complaint. No, you, no. you want the horn? Not a complaint, no. I couldn't possibly complain about such a wonderful team. I just wondered if you had a few minutes to play me the second half of the horn. <laughs> I couldn't complain, complain about you lovely people. You I are, think you're wonderful. You, we're all coming round to yours after the show for tea and cakes. Is that oh, okay? Right. Okay, okay, well, yeah. listen, we, I, I'm not going to play half of the horn for you, I'm afraid, Maureen. I'm going to play the whole horn for you. Because, play the whole horn. There we go. Oh, that's, that's, wonderful. that's wonderful, Ian. Does, that, does, that, does it feel now that you've got closure on yes, the whole sorry mess? I do, on the whole sorry mess, which I, I wouldn't have... Wouldn't been able to sort out without your wonderful help. Well, it was it was it was Jonathan. I think it was the main thrust of it, and he'll be back next week. So yeah. uh, maybe you can think of some more problems to bother him with. <laughs> you going? Have you given up smoking yet, Maureen? I haven't. Oh, mm. when, are you, when are you going to do it? Come on, it's doing you no good. It isn't, and it cost me a lot of money as well. It cost a fortune. Yeah. Think of all the electronic cigarettes you could buy if you didn't smoke. No, hang on, <laughs> that, that, that logic doesn't work. I never ever want to touch one of them companies again. Maureen, I'm I'm glad that we could uh, help you, and I'm glad that you got the horn. And thank you. So so much for the extra help. You're absolutely welcome. There we go. That's Maureen. And uh, you see, with the things like that can be solved. And it might seem like a, a, a small thing to you, and it was it was only a few quid. But that a few quid, it's a lot of money to some people. And also, 
I think also with these kind of things, it's the, uh, it, it's the principle of the thing, isn't it? If there's a company that's got your 15 quid or your 25 quid, you think, yeah, but I want that back. And sometimes I've had to bite the bullet and take the dive and I've gone, do you know what? It's not worth the stress uh, that this is going to induce in me chasing this. But you kind of, there's that little knot thinking, I've been ripped off here. That's my money. And we can kind of help with those things. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Or if you've got a problem that perhaps you you think might take a little bit more detail uh, to explain, you can send an email. If you just write down as many of the facts that you've got, the the company, the address, the the, the time that it happened and what exactly the problem is, you can email those to um, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. That money is better off in your pocket than theirs. Oh, it's better off in your pocket than theirs. Coming up after the news, we are going to hear from Caroline McCallum, who had a problem with her gastric band. It lasted about 11 months, and then all of a sudden it was like it had just been taken off. So I went back to the place. How did you know it had been taken off? Because I could eat. We'll find out what the latest is on that after the news. On FM, AM and online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio. From this Friday afternoon through to the Monday morning, we're taking BBC Three Counties on the road. We'll be broadcasting all of our programmes live from the centre of the Love Luton 2012 Festival with reporters following the Olympic torch every step of the way through the Three Counties. Come down to uh, Wardown Park in Luton and you can challenge Justin Dealey's jukebox or help JVS celebrate the torch arriving in Luton. We are your Olympic station. We are BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, as I said earlier on, uh, Caroline had a gastric band fitted in 2010. uh, And I asked Caroline, why, not me, I wasn't here at all, it was Jonathan asked Caroline why she'd had the procedure in the first place. This is what she had to say. Because I was overweight. Okay. I tried loads of diets over the years, I was really unhappy with how I felt, so... Can I ask how much you weighed? Um, I weighed 20 stone then. So how much did you pay to have this gastric band fitted? Just under £5,000. It lasted about 11 months, and then all of a sudden it was like it had just been taken off. How did you know it had been taken off? Because I could eat. Now, I spoke to Caroline a couple of days ago. There have been developments in the story. This morning we're going to find out what they are. Keep listening. BBC Three Counties Radio. This is Ian Lee filling in uh, for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Joined by Nick Long. <laughs> That's my new name. I'm such an idiot. I'm so... so the, the, the way this system works, dear listener, is I have a computer in front of me and it kind of gives me a heads up as to what little trails and beds I'm going to fire off. And Nick Coffer's trail, there's, there's Nick Short and there's Nick Long. There's a long trail and there's a short one. And because I wasn't concentrating and because I'm, I'm an idiot, let's, let's be yeah, honest busy, about it. Busy, busy. Busy, thank you very much. I just read what was on the screen and I said, Nick Long. Let's find out what Nick Long's doing. Do you know so. what I think would be a really good idea? Um, Alex here, who makes these trails to yes. which you refer, it would be quite funny just for next week when you start on breakfast. Yes. If she named some of the trails with, shall we say, interesting <laughs> names? <laughs> don't, 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 don't tempt fate. Don't, please don't. She's I, listening now, and if I was her, I would be, I mean, obviously keeping it clean. So next week, I'm not only doing a new show, I'm also getting up at silly o'clock in the morning, yeah. so my head's going to be all over the place. Yep. If, you, if you want to listen to a man possibly breaking down on air breakfast next week, Nick Coffer. Yes. What's on your show today from 12? We've got uh, Adam Lancaster coming in. He knows his books. 
coming in, believe it or not, into the summer summer holiday. Uh, he's going to be talking about what you should be reading on the beach. We're reviewing uh, four, maybe even five books. Uh, no bonkbusters today. These are all proper proper readings. Are you a fan of those Kindle type things, or you're a book book? Uh, I am a book book. Yeah, I, I, I love gadgets and bits and pieces. I can't get to he- my head around reading it off a little computer screen. Although there's something brilliant about whether it's you know Kindle or whatever um, sort of device you've yeah. got that you can buy something online uh, any of the various stores and you've got it literally four seconds later yeah yep. um and i can see the appeal in that and i actually did it recently i was, I was i've been getting into photography and uh, i needed some information and there's one book that everyone said you absolutely yeah. have to get and i had it and i read it that evening but on holiday do i want bits of paper yeah probably. i want bits of paper i want sand in the book to remind me and books smell wonderful get a book and put your face in it and sniff it do you remember on the apprentice when they had the had the the stand-up book stand that they they, 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 they based their entire week on a on a flimsy metal frame that you plonked a book into i'm being told from my producing uh, producers and i use the term very very loosely that books from the library stink but they smell of, of, of no, they've got they history of to them and history of course they do i mean i should know because i have several at home that are 26 years old and should have been returned to bushy library when well, i was a teenager what else have you got on uh, we've got adam lancaster we've got uh, we're looking at um at um uh, road victims we're talking to the uh, road uh, victim trust which should be uh, very interesting very personal to me because i lost my best friend in a car crash well, okay. uh, some years ago and uh, this should be rather lovely uh, ben westlake is from stony stratford and christian i'm um, gonna get this wrong grema desa he's uh, from heath and reach um Ben was in the Young Musician of the Year four, uh, four weeks ago on BBC Four. Christian was in it two years ago. Christian's a violinist. Ben is a clarinetist. They're playing in Milton Keynes uh, this Sunday in a major concert, and they're both coming in uh, m- instruments in tow, so we're going to be playing some live music. Stuff, Nick Coffer. I always like a little bit of live music on the radio. Nick Coffer from 12. Nick, thank you very much. I like my new name, though. Nick Long. Nick Long will be live at 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, I've got loads of these, uh, th- th- these stories to get through. Uh, Matthew. Well, let's do the- this one first. Yes. Matthew uh, bought a home cinema system in 2010, which allowed him to stream films from the internet. This year, there was a firmware update which has resulted in Matthew being unable to stream any more films. No, I can, I can go and browse a film, pick whatever film I want, and everything's okay until I say, play. Uh, and repeated calls to their, their help desk asking, when's it going to be resolved? Um, no callbacks at all with me chasing them. I still don't have access to streaming films online, unfortunately. Is there another product that could replace the system? Well, Matthew's on the line now. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. This, I'm, I'm into my gadgets and my TVs and things that do bits and pieces, so this, this kind of fascinated me. Uh, this must have been a real disappointment when you found out you couldn't download the films. Yes, it was. Uh, ben has been looking uh, into this, haven't you, Ben? I have indeed, yeah. Where are we? Well, last we heard, the, the manufacturer of this particular player had said, yeah, OK, uh, I think we need to, to offer a, a refund in this case. Um, they said they, uh, they were going to collect the, the unit, all the bits and bobs, because it's one of these home cinema systems. Oh, so it's the whole system. It's okay. got, it's got the, the, the player and all the speakers, all the gubbins there, so they put that all in a box. Have they taken that, that away yet, Matthew? They have, yeah. I think it's, uh, they picked it up on Monday. Lovely. Okay, so now they've picked it up. I think they said that once it was all picked up, they've had a look at it all. They'll issue a refund. Is that right? Have you have you had the refund yet, or any uh, reference about it yet, Matthew? No, nothing yet. Nothing yet. Okay. Well, hopefully they're just it's, it's on its way back. We've got to give them a bit of time for that delivery to get back to them. Um, obviously, you've been left without this this streaming service, Matthew. Have you been able to? to get a new system that does something similar what have you been doing i've bought another device now um, what, what, a, a similar device just from a different different, different manufacturer, manufacturer yes. and it, it works well and you could stream the films yes it works fine 
Fantastic. Because this was really important to you, Matthew, wasn't it? You, you suffer from Asperger's. You don't like um, you don't like going out and, and, and leaving the house very much. You, you refer to us as as carbon based life forms, don't you? Yes. Well, um, I, I, I quite like that. I, I can see why you. It's, it's factually to. correct. Absolutely. It's factually correct. So now you're at home. You're watching the movie. What have you been watching, Matthew? What's the most recent film you've been watching? Uh, what was the most recent film I watched? Bruce Almighty. Oh, okay. <laughs> really? That now that surprised me. Uh, any good? Yes, I enjoyed it. I do have it on DVD anyway, but... Well, hang on, why would you <laughs> stream it as if you have it already? Uh, it's just the way my brain works. Sa- it saved you going upstairs to get it off the shelf, didn't yeah. it? I must admit, I do exactly the same thing yep. as well. Uh, have you got w- w- any, any films planned for this evening? No. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm off to the pictures to see Prometheus. Oh, really? Don't tell me what happens. Don't tell me what happens, please. I don't want to know. It looks scary. I like my... Sc- uh, scary films or comedies? Uh, Matthew, what, what, what's your, your genre? There we go. You see, and Bruce Almighty, as we know, is terrifying. Well, Matthew, get back to us when you when you have this refund, because obviously you need to, to to get that money back. But um, uh, let us know, and then half a horn. I think half a horn. Half a horn. There we go. Look. Oh, <laughs> it's a whole horn. Oh God, the computer's crashed. There we go. The whole thing is, uh, is uh, Matthew. The, the, the system is so excited by your news that the whole you've, you've brought the BBC to its knees. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, Matthew, let us know when you get your money back. Uh, we'll do, thank thank you. you very much. There we go. Fantastic, fantastic. And I'm assuming that my uh, technical team can reset the computer that was uh, fired there, off there. Ah, there we go. Right, this is Ian Lee filling in uh, for JVS. We should have Gary on the line. Hello, Gary. Good morning. Gary, you've got a new uh, s- problem for us. Please tell us without mentioning any company names or company details or anything like that. Right, OK. Uh, in May last year, I purchased a two-seater and a three-seater leather settee. Um, all, it all got delivered about six to eight weeks later. Yes. Um, after having the, the settee for about three months, I noticed the arms were starting to dip and like look out of shape. Yeah. So what I've done, I called the, the supplier. They sent an engineer out who basically turned up and moaned about how long it took him to get to my house. And when I basically explained the problem to him and showed him, he laughed. I went, well, do you mind telling me why you're laughing? And he said, well, the shop should have told me uh, that every night before I go to bed, I should plump all the arms on the settee. Sorry? He he told me every night before I went to bed, I to plump the arms of the settee. And I looked at him a bit miffed, and he said, didn't the shop tell you this? I said, no. Right, and he said, right, well, that's what you got to do, and that's the only thing we can do for you. So I, I'm a bit bewildered about what he said, but I thought, right, I'll go along with what he says. Left it for a few months, and um, basically I left it up till now, and it's getting like considerably worse to the, to the point where you can actually feel the wooden frame of the settee in the arms. So, so the, the enge- an engineer came out and said, you have, to, you have to plump the arms up. That was the best advice he could offer. That's what he said, yeah. And I, was, and I skipped the part, sorry. He said to use seats in, seats in alternative seats. Never sit in the same seat, uh, basically, like, continuously. That's what he told me. But that's not what you buy a sofa for, is it? Exactly. That's what, that's what I said. Um, but then uh, I called him again about three weeks ago to basically voice my concerns. He's getting considerably worse. Um, basically, I got told by the customer service that basically they wouldn't come out to look at the same problem twice. And they deemed it as not being a manufacturing fault. That's what they told me. 
Well, listen, this, I, I'm shocked by this. If there are any other sofa arm plumpers out there, um, could you give me a call? Uh, is this the only way you can keep your sofa in uh, good condition? 08459 455555. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked, and indeed I am surprised uh, by that. So, so, so whereabouts are you now? Where, where are you now? What, regarding the situation? Yeah. Uh, basically getting nowhere. I mean, the last thing I've done, I emailed the, the company because they, they refused to... You can, you can escalate it to another level, but you can't do it on phone. It's got to be done by email. I've emailed them and basically got a response that basically you get a reply back within 10 days. And that, that reply never comes, to be fair. OK, OK. Well, what we're going to do is um, we've, got, we've got all the details of the, uh, the company and, and everything like that. I'm going to give them a call uh, a little bit later on. And this, this, this sounds... Very, very strange that you're being told that you have to plump up the cushions, and even then it's not having the desired effect. I will give them a call uh, and see where we get with that, and um, we'll speak to you maybe a bit later on. Is that okay? That's great. Thank you very much. Gary, thank you very, very much. If you've got a consumer problem, 08459 455 555 is the uh, telephone number to give us a call. Now, Ian bought a car last November. He purchased it from an independent dealer online. The car had undergone all the correct tests, but when he drove it away, the gearbox failed. Ian was obviously very upset by this. He tried to take the car back to uh, the dealer, but the dealer wasn't there. In the end, I didn't get hold of him till tea time on the phone. He was very rude and abusive, and I knew I was wasting my time. So in the end, I threatened to take him to the small claims court. Small claims court come up on the 26th of March. I won my case, plus costs. He had seven days to pay me. I received nothing. Sounds like a, a bit of a mess. Ian, you're on the line now. Oh, I am. Yeah. Hello. Uh, ben has been dealing with this one. Uh, ben? This, this, I, I was listening to this on Jonathan's show, and it just sounds a um, very strange situation, can I say? Well, yes. Jo- I must admit, Jonathan took this on initially. He was the one who put the phone call in on Friday. Right. Uh, I'm quite glad he was the one who put the phone call in. He had um, fun, did he? Well, um, he spoke to a gentleman um, who uh, he wouldn't give his name initially. Um, he says that the company involved has ceased trading, and that's why the bailiffs that were sent to the property were unable to get any money from this company. Right. Now, he wouldn't tell us his company or his name or, or what company he was operating under. He didn't say he was... He said he wasn't involved with this previous company. Um, when Jonathan, when he asked for Jonathan's name, uh, Jonathan tried to give him, yes, I'm, I'm Jonathan, Vermin, uh, Jer- uh, Jonathan Vernon Smith... He thought his name was Jonathan Vermin Smith. Clever. And kept repeating that, so that yep. was interesting. Um, so th- th- not a particularly pleasant phone call that he had. It, it, it went on for quite a while. Yep. Um, uh, but one thing that did come out of it, which was quite puzzling, was that he mentioned that when Ian bought the car, he bought the car as a trader. He said this was a trade sale. And the difference for, for some of our listeners who may not know, a trader-to-trader sale is, is taken as seen. So if a trader buys something off another trader, they don't have the same uh, rights and the same protection as a consumer <laughs> does to, uh, with a trader. Really? I've never heard of that. That's right. So um, he says that the receipt says it's a trade sale. So, Ian, did you buy the car as a trader? Basically, I went there and explained to him why I wanted the car, and it wasn't for trade purpose. Oh, I've got the receipt in front of me, and this is exactly as it says. The last line says, I deem myself to be a trade buyer. I did not read that, okay, which I understand is, is on the receipt. 
So, so, the, so the receipt says oh. it's a trade sale, but you are not yeah. a trader and you weren't buying it. You, well, you, you didn't think you were buying it on, as a trade sale. Is that right? I told the gentleman that you spoke to on the phone the reasons I was buying the car I was buying, and it was mm. not. It was for personal use only. It doesn't say on his website that you have to be a trade buyer. Having spoken to the consumer direct people the day after I purchased the car, it doesn't matter what is on there on the receipt as a trade buyer it wasn't sold for the purpose that i paid for it so therefore whether it says no warranty it is not been it's not served the purpose i i purchased it so as i knew i was having trouble with the um seller i then took him to the small claims court well he had the chance to come to court to explain his situation because i took my documents to prove i am not a trade buyer. I I do another procession. I'm a builder. Okay, and hang on a second, Ben. Well, you want to well, come I in was going to say uh, the, the other thing he mentioned here. You, um, we we told this person on the end of the phone who uh, I have to repeat. We we don't know his name. We don't know what company he's from. So we don't know he's definitely the person involved here. However, he did seem to know a lot about this case. He said that the the only reason you won Ian in court was because the company no longer existed. Mm. He said that you won by default. Um, and that's okay. the reason that, that, that you won in court. That's what he told us. No problem. Can you explain to me then why on his website this morning, under the same company, there's £76,000 worth of stock on that website under the same company name that I purchased my car? Well, um, I, I know that Jonathan is obviously away this week. We, we've been yep. looking at, uh, into it you know, on his behalf while he's away, but I think this needs further investigation. From this initial phone call, we're still none the wiser about where we're going forward with this. And I tell you what, that phone call is not going to come from me. I'm not, touching <laughs> this with, I'm not touching this with a dirty stick, to be honest. I'm going to leave this one for... Is that OK if we wait until next weekend? Partly because I'm scared, but partly because Jonathan has initiated the contact with this, yeah. uh, and he has a relationship with this chap of some sort it would be appropriate i think if jonathan pursued this absolutely in the meantime ian have you had any further contact with the company has anyone contacted you or anything happened on your end of things as in speaking to the company as from the day in november they have not answered any of my letters any of my calls or anything i've spoken to the bailiffs recently this week and they're going to look at going in again hopefully i've spoken to the police and they're saying what I should have to do. I've had to contact um, mm. Swansea about the registration forms because that also isn't in order. That's all wrong. Yes. So, unfortunately, I've got a lot of things going on, but nothing seems to be going forward. OK, well, leave it with us, Ian. I think there's things we need to investigate, um, and particularly if this company is still trading or not. I think that's the key issue here. Is the company still trading? And, and that's yeah. what we need to find out, because if it is still trading... Then, then presumably the bailiffs should have some powers there. Mm. That's what we need to determine. So we will do some digging in the meantime, but I think we'll pick this up next week uh, when we have a bit more information behind this. Okay, Ian? That's no problem with me. Thank you very much, Ian. There we go. It's, it's, um, sometimes you, you deal with companies and uh, they're very lovely and they're very helpful, and sometimes you deal with companies and they are not particularly helpful in the slightest. If you've got a problem that you'd... Um, like us to have a look at then do give us a call 08459 455 555 is the telephone number and maybe possibly uh, we can do something uh, to help as, as uh, ben was saying jonathan will be back next week
He'll be back uh, on Monday. I don't think there's a consumer hour on Monday. I suspect that that's because of the uh, the, the torch being uh, carried all around the area. Oh, we've got a text from Shaz. Read Gary's sofa. Um, so uh, we have a leather sofa, and we're told by the store to plump up the arms and seats at least once a week, which we do, and the sofa is fine. It does seem odd that that's what you would have to do to... Um, to get the sofa to, to, to work. You have to plump it up all the time. It does seem very, very unusual to do that. I'm going to hit a button and hopefully we're going to have a trail. There we go. Nick Coffer's on after 12. Well, I'm just reading this, that this week Nick broadcasts live from Love Luton Festival. He's taking a foodie look at the festivities, finding out who's cooking what and how we can try the delicious food on display at home. I like delicious food. Along with the food up for grabs in the day, Nick will look at the diverse varieties of flavours and cultures we can expect from Luton Carnival on Sunday. Nick will also be joined by Luton chef and friend of the show, Patty Slowly. She'll bring the sunshine if the clouds put a dampener on our day. That's Nick Coffer's Weekend Kitchen live from the Love Luton Festival at midday on Saturday. Or Nick Long, as I'm going to know him forever now. I don't know. Maybe the name fits him a bit better. I don't know. Maybe he could think about getting a show business name. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow uh, at nine o'clock filling in for JVS. My last day filling in for the JVS show before doing uh, a few weeks on breakfast. And thank you for everyone who's called in this week and, um, you know, made it doable. I couldn't do it without your phone calls on the programme tomorrow. There is some research out that says people over 40 think the younger generation is lazier, less skilled, and shows less respect to their elders than they do. It's interesting, isn't it? I'll be discussing this on tomorrow's show. I'll be like, interesting to get your phone calls and your take on this. I think we may be speaking to Frank, who is a, a gentleman who I spoke to earlier in the week, who was in his 80s, and challenged me to um, a driving challenge. Not a race. Not a race but some sort of driving test. I won't be taking him up on that, just so you know. Uh, time now to get the latest travel news. So don't forget to join me tomorrow at nine when we'll be talking about uh, that. We'll also be having more of the consumer updates, and we've got some corkers for tomorrow. But coming up after the news, it's Nick Coffer. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.